Howdy, folks. I'm Jeff Gonzalez, former Navy SEAL, founder of Trident Concepts and host of the Bulletproof Workshop powered by AR15.com, where we discuss knowledge, skills, and ability to help bulletproof your everyday performance in whatever your field or passion. Welcome to Podcast 027. My next guest has been a martial artist for over 40 years and still going strong despite the looks. He's the founder of the Spear System, a close quarter protection system which uses reflexive action in response to threatening situations. He is the creator of the High Gear, a specialized protective suit that allows the wearer to practice at real speed while minimizing damage from their opponents. He has spent a lifetime studying performance psychology and in particular the body's reaction to stress in an effort to convert the body's natural reactions to a favorable outcome. The work at, sorry, Works at understanding fear is pioneering with heavy emphasis on knowing fear through both science and skill. He's a Saracissa maker. I'm going to have you Google that because you're probably not going to know what that is. <laughs> a violence counselor, whiteboard export, modern just a corpse maker, and a U.S. citizen. Please welcome to the show, Tony Blower. Tony, how's it going? <laughs> Dude, can you send me that that intro? Because I I don't even know how to spell some of that shit. Wow. Yes, we can. We'll be happy to do that. Now, you but, actually wrote an intro. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't know you could write. I don't. I typed. Okay. Yeah. My yeah. My, my handwriting skills are, right. are pretty pretty sour. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I am so excited to be sitting here with you. This first of all, it's been a long time since we've seen one another, and it's uh, you know due to circumstances and crazy schedules and whatnot. But yes, I am so happy to have you in here with me, dude. It's 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 crazy how long we've known each other. I was, I know. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, and I was trying to figure out. I mean, it's, it's over okay. You can say years. Tucker. Tucker, if you're listening, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how you all you knew each other. So I'm sitting there and going, no, I'm here to see uh, Jeff Gonzalez. So I'm good friends with Jeff. I took a shooting course. I, I roll with him. Yeah, yeah. I was like, so it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Small world. Very small yeah. world. Love Tucker. Um, well, <clears throat> let's get down to the, uh, the show details here. Uh-oh. I like to start the show off with um, helping to kind of set the stage by where do you where, where where did you call home? Where did you grow up? Where do you hail from? But 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 before you answer, let's take a short commercial break. Thank our sponsors, folks. This show is sponsored by 1776 Insurance. We're talking about comprehensive firearms collection coverage that also includes your accessories as well as knives. If you've got questions or you want to learn more, please visit 1776insurance.com. So we're back from our commercial break. Thank you. Um, Tony, why don't you go ahead and start us off again with kind of like, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in a log cabin um, and raised by wolves. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it, man. That's my story. The uh, the audience is going to want to well, know a little bit. Gonna, let's go. <laughs> uh, well, man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I grew up. Uh, yeah. In Canada, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a skier. You're either a skier or skater. You play hockey or you ski in Canada. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents were both famous, uh, like ski patrol, like really. Get in out that. of here! Yeah. And I grew up uh, skiing, and that's significant in kind of what I do now because uh, I never won a race, but I was one of the best skiers on the team. I always it was my fascination with fear because I would always. <sighs> wipe out i'd always catch my tips and it was people say, oh, oh self-sabotage and i go no I, I always showed up i tried hard yeah nobody had ever explained 
properly, like a coach or an athlete or mentor explain that, uh, you know, the physiological changes that I was feeling were part of the anticipation of danger Mm. of of the desire to perform well. So I'd be like ready to go going, why is my heart pounding so much? Why do I got these butterflies? Why I'm at the top of a hill, it's freezing out, I'm sweating. And I would, I attributed just even as like an 11, 12, 13, these ages I was competing at going, I must suck because if I was good, I wouldn't feel like this. Right. And if you think about it, if you look around the world and you look at uh, great athletes, and I'm talking about world class, you don't see fear on them. There's right. that facade of yes. ready to go. Really stoic attitude. And uh, But what you find out if you get to know people is, of course, they were scared, but they were managing their fear. Interesting. In fact, um, in our No Fear uh, uh, workshop, I now have, and it's just really in the last couple of years, guys like uh, uh, Tyson, uh, George St. Pierre, like a lot of people don't realize Tyson used to throw up and cry before his fights. Yeah. And could you imagine And you, when he was in his prime, how menacing he was? Yeah, right? without a doubt. But imagine if we walked into his changing room just before his fight and we didn't know who he was and, and he was bent over going, yeah. And then looked up and he's got tears in his eyes. Yeah. And I said, Jeff, you want to bet on this guy? <laughs> right. You go, no, like that guy's going to lose. Like, yeah. Um, St. Pierre recently came out some videos talking about that the worst day of his life was every day at the fight, that he was so scared. And he's, he said, like, I'm not afraid to admit that I was afraid. Interesting. And he said, the problem is when you, when you don't connect to that and you don't like acknowledge it, it can work against you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and there's a lot of guys, I was on, you know, uh, Ritland's podcast. Oh yeah. And, um, we were talking about this stuff and I said, you know, it's dangerous if you're macho, like in a lot of type A personalities, which is everyone in this studio and, <laughs> and everyone in this community and yeah. probably everyone listening is we don't want to look at our buddy or a friend or wife and go, man, I'm really scared right now. Yeah. But sometimes if you can lean into that, you can turn fear into fuel. Oh, and, I love hearing that. And, and, and that's really been my, my career path. Isn't like, Oh, I came up with a cool acronym and now yeah. I got this company. It's, it was really like decades of fear and then one day, you know, as a, as a self-defense instructor in the, yeah, yeah. In the 80s, yeah. I realized this with my students because I was so passionate about trying to make people safe that only the people who manage their fear manage to fight. Okay. Only the people who manage their fear manage to that fight. That makes sense. And everyone else who doesn't hesitates. And, oh. and uh, so fear creates doubt. Doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. In a gunfight, that would suck. Yeah. In a fist fight, that would suck. Business loves speed. Violence loves speed, right? Yeah. I, I'm, you know, uh, I, I tell the story and just another uh, silly example. Um, everyone wanted to date this girl, Lucy, in school. And I was friends with her and she was like gorgeous. And you like, er, like every guy wanted to be with Lucy. Yeah. And so uh, it's it's coming up for prime prom. And I'm like, hi, hi Lucy. <laughs> right? And she's like, oh, hi, Tony. Uh, did you want to ask me something? Oh, uh, no, I just wanted to say hi. Like, right. And then finally I got my nerves up like a day later. I yeah. go, hey, Lucy, you know, would, would you would you go to the prom with me? She goes, oh, I wish you'd asked me the other day because somebody else already asked me. And it was like always. So life. I mean, li- everything in life demands that you act fast. Yeah, if you want it's true business market share, the date. The all like all the stuff. Yeah, and it's not about rushing. It's about being decisive. Correct. So, anyways, I I jumped from 
four years old to some philosophy there. <laughs> did, but it's but, awesome though. But but that's that's really been, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like I was like as a wrestler as a kid, and I was so terrified. I was so nervous. I I couldn't remember any of my fights. I couldn't. I, but I'd never hit that proverbial flow state. Wow. That. It, like every really good athlete, like if you make it, you get into that. Yeah. You're not thinking about, you're not thinking about the rules or how you're moving or the outcome. You're just in the zone. Um, and so I began studying that organically, intuitively. Yeah. And it was really my work in, uh, you know, my passion and love for martial arts and self-defense yeah. that I discovered that doing uh, like scenario training in the eighties. Huh? Well, <clears throat> so you were a skier, in the early, you know, the early years, and you mentioned how you dabbled in wrestling and whatnot. At what point, like, when did self-defense become kind of like your pathway? Like, because you've been on that path for sure. so long. Yeah. When did you actually jump on that path? So uh, I grew up in the 60s watching Macho Men, right? Yeah. The original Wild Wild West. Yeah. Uh, I love Robert Green, Conrad. Right, yeah. yeah. Green Hornet. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mannix. Yes. Uh, like all these oh, shows. Oh, God. So I grew up and, and everybody fought in every in every problem yes. was every problem was solved in those things with a fucking karate. Can I swear <laughs> on the show? Yes. Okay. Yes, we are adults. Thank God. Thank God. Uh you know, there was always remember Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra, oh, like he would like the judo chop, the judo chop, right? Right, and uh, <laughs> just some of the worst. But back then it was cool. But like if you watch that stuff now, you laugh at the oh, choreography. Oh yeah, of course. And yeah. We're used to John Wick choreography. Yeah, of now. course. Yeah. So, anyways, long story short, I'm watching all this shit, but because of the fear I had with everything, when I'd see like a, like a powerful man on TV solve any problem and get the girl by going chop right i'd be like ah violence pays and and, and, uh um so it was but it was also this connection with really the fear i was like wow i wonder if this would remedy that because i was an all-around athlete i played all different sports but i'd be like you know i'd be up at bat you know, and I'd be going, don't strike out. Don't let, yes. it, was, it was always about don't let down the team. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, you suck. I like, I felt like I belonged to be there. I just couldn't make this connection. Interesting. And, um, and like in our workshops on fear management, we talk about, you know, the relationship between uh, a stimulus being introduced too quickly and what, it, what happens at a physiological level, but also what happens at a psychological level. Okay. And you're familiar with yeah, from yeah, your yeah. training, fight, flight, freeze yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. There's so much more important research around the neurobiology of fear and the neuroscience of what it does. And there's big words that they don't compete with your introduction. There are words I've never heard there, but <laughs> other words that make us feel pedantic ooh. and obsequious. Oh, wow. Ooh. Look at you trying to get all. <laughs> Siri, I need a bigger word. <laughs> Damn it. I'm on airplane mode. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, uh, the, uh, I completely forgot where I was. <laughs> so, so you were talking about how, you know, you, you were laying the groundwork as to why you were in enthralled by right. martial arts. Okay. I figured it out. Thank you. Thank you. One person's listening. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm at a, a weekend pickup, uh, 
baseball game with some friends. I'm like 12 years old. Next year, I'm going to our high school and I'm leaving the field through an alternate route. And I see these two guys. So I'm like 12 turning 13. It's 1972. Mm -hmm. And uh, these two guys from the local high school, which is a few hundred yards up the street are walking by and it's a Sunday. There's no one around, uh-huh. no cars in the parking lot. And I'm scooting out. And these kids are 15, 16. Now there's back then there was a huge difference in size between a 12 year old and a 15 or 16. Yeah, well, hell yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of like skipping out because we just played, you know, pickup game baseball oh, yeah. and had fun. And these two older kids go, Hey kid, come here. And I'm like, Oh, look at these kids want to talk to me. Yeah. 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 I, I run over. Yeah. And they go, hey, did you go to school here? I go, yeah. And they go, when are you going to high school? I go, next year. Well, welcome to high school. I go, thank you. And they grab me. Oh, shit. And one of them spins me around and he gets me behind in a yeah. bull Nelson. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, going, what the fuck? What the fuck? Right? But I'm not swearing because I'm 12. Because you're 12. No 12 you know, what the fudge? <laughs> I didn't. I'm like struggling to get out, out of this. And remember this, I'm, I'm wrestling, I'm skiing, I'm playing all sorts. So I'm really strong as an athlete. Yeah. And the guy's got my arms and I'm trying to rip out of them. So I'm as, I'm as taut as you can be. Yeah. You know, like if, when you do body impact training, let's say in boxing, yeah. someone goes, I'm going to hit you to the body. You don't blow your air out and do this. <laughs> yeah. Like you're like, okay, go ahead. No. Yeah. Hit right? me now, hit me now. So I'm in that position. I'm as tight as I can be. And this guy, the guy in front of him smiles and he does, you remember Sugar Ray Leonard's bolo punch? Uh, uh, versus yeah. Duran, you know, yeah. swinging the arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he starts doing this bolo punch and everything goes into tacky psyche, slow motion, right? Yes. And I'm like, no. And I think it's going to kill me. I've never been in a real fight. Oh, wow. And this punch comes around in slow motion, bare fist, like two older kids. And I scream, sorry, my sister will never listen to this podcast, but I scream like my sister. Like I scream, <laughs> Like I'm in, in anticipation of thanks for the support. Man. I'm sorry. Really. That, is, that was and, a very good and, depiction. Uh, and as I'm thinking this is going to kill me. Yeah. And I'm in anticipation of impact. I scream and it hits me. I don't even feel it. I don't even know that I'm hit because I'm like struggling and I'm screaming. But I scream so loud that the guy behind me thought I was hurt. Oh, wow. And I felt his grip change on me like, oh, fuck, we didn't mean to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my intuition in that moment said, scream again. They because think they've showed. hurt you. Yeah. And I went, ah, and I pretended like my ribs were broken. I went, ah, he broke my rib. And I'm like, ah, and I'm gagging. And the guy lets go of me and I fall to the ground on all fours. And I look up. And I see the other guy's eyes are white, like they're panicking, and they run off. Oh, no way. Yeah, they take off. And as they turn the corner, I'm like watching. But while they're running, I'm going, ah, ah. <laughs> and they turn the corner, and they're gone. And I go like this, and I stand up. I fix my shirt. I go, what the fuck was that? What just happened? I go home, and, I, and my dad says, how was the game? I go, good. But I just got beaten up by two guys. I don't have like a mark on me. My shirt's not even torn, yeah. right? Yeah. He goes like, was it a pillow fight? What What? <laughs> what do you mean you're beaten up? You look fine. I go, no, dad, I was beaten up. You don't understand. Right? Um, this was, like I said, 1972, 73. The Bruce Lee craze was just starting. Oh, then. Nice. Bruce Lee died in 1973. Yeah. And the craze was just starting. And uh, there was one Taekwondo school like a mile from my house. My dad said, you got to go got to go train. You got to sign up. Yeah. And I would, I started, I went in there and I was like a fanatic. I was like, I stopped everything. I continued skiing for another <clears> eight <throat> or 10 years, 
But um, I wanted that to solve all my problems as far as the confidence, yeah. as far as the fear management. And I thought like it, I was connecting now to my childhood of like, oh, I'm going to learn martial arts like, like Robert Conrad. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And all these guys. Uh, and, uh, and that began, that was kind of like the origin story for how I got into martial arts. I was such a Bruce Lee fanatic when he passed away. I mean, I was just like, like many, like millions of people, even to this day, Bruce, Bruce was so iconic. Uh, an interesting thing. And I don't know if, I think you know this, but I don't know if you know this, but I became good friends with his son. I think I remember you telling me. Yeah. And I was actually on the set of the crow three weeks before that accident that killed him. Uh, and an interesting, so in growing up, I had three, uh, male role models that really shaped how I wanted to behave and what I wanted to do. Bruce Lee was one. Yeah. Uh, Robert Conrad. Yeah. was another. Ah. And, um, and Stallone. Interesting. And, and over my career, uh, I've gotten to know again, Brandon. Yeah. It's the connection to Bruce. Yeah. And I stunt doubled Robert Conrad and became friends with him. No in way. In Montreal. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And, uh, and Stallone, I worked on Rocky five, uh, working with Tommy Morrison. No way. Got to know him and hang out with him. It was just weird meeting your idols. Your idols yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. That. But they were they weren't just like, oh, like uh, I like this rock star because I play guitar or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They were like people that really impacted, influenced me. Yeah, impacted. And they were and they were cool. Some you know that expression, don't meet your heroes. Yeah. They they were they were very cool with me. I think because um of my martial arts. And yeah. Stuff there was like a that. parallel. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting. I can remember, and you mm-hmm. might be able to kind of expand upon this. There's so much of my, my history, my past that, I don't know. I just, it, it's not, it's not on the front part of my brain to recall, but there are events that are so vivid that I can, I, I feel like I'm there almost, you know, like right. they happened yesterday. And one of them was like the first fight that I got into in school. I can remember that because I can remember <clears throat> it was um, middle school. And I, it was, uh, I don't even remember what caused the fight. You know, usually there's some incident. Oh, I know what caused the fight. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You are a prick. (laughs) You started the fight. Is that right? Okay. Well, I have been known to instigate (laughs) conflict. That's true. But I don't think that was, that was the case in this point. But I can remember the guy's name. I can remember what he looked like, what he wore on that day. I can remember like how I felt like, because it literally was, you know, after school behind the gym. Right. Right. And so there's this anticipation all sure. through school. I am just like, I'm a nervous wreck. Cause I can't even like utter a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. And all of his friends in that were in my classes were all like, Oh, you're going to get your ass kicked today. Right. You know? <laughs> so there's this buildup. Right. And then sure enough, I knew I had a choice. I could either get on the bus and go home or I could go behind the gym and face those demons. And I remember like I'm walking behind, I'm, I'm walking towards the bus area and then I see some of his friends and I'm like, oh shit, you know, like, so then I turn and I walk behind the school and, and there he was, there was a big crowd of people. I like, that's not helpful either. And I didn't know what to do. Like at this point in my life, you know, I've played sports. I did sure. very, pretty much the same thing that you had done. And like the scrap was fast. It was like, Oh, that's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all right. You know, that wasn't, and w- my point is that there was so much anticipation, so much anxiety built up into it because there was, and I think this will resonate with you. There was a fear of the unknown. Mm. 
what I was about to experience, you know, and it's very primal for so men, let, especially. Let's, let's unpack that a little Go bit for because it. it's not, everyone uses the term fear of the unknown. What I did with a lot of the the stuff that I lovingly refer to as psychobabble and that's no disrespect to the <laughs> yeah, you know, therapy community and yeah. stuff like that. And, it's just psychology for, right. for dummies. <laughs> but the, but there's a lot of stuff that they say, well, fear of the unknown, but it's not fear of the unknown. It's like a misnomer. It's okay. like, it's like, and we'll talk about this after like telling cops or, or, or military, this is the reactionary gap because it's not explained in a way where the, if you just redefine that in your mind, you go, this is the distance with which I have to react. Okay. And, and, but there's a, a very dangerous assumption that's made uh, if you don't understand stuff, but we'll come back to that. Okay. Pin that one. Pin. Um, the, uh, but when we say, oh, fear of the unknown, it's actually not fear of the unknown. It's you fixating on fear of an undesired outcome. Interesting. So what happens is when you say I was, and I was so nervous, what you were doing was visualizing you getting your ass kicked. Yes, absolutely. And that's what people, and this is what I, what I, what we do through our research and our program is we help people uh, take the scary boogeyman and give him a face yeah. and give him a neck so you could fucking throttle him. <laughs> and literally I had an athlete who uh, uh, contacted me and, and said, Hey, I heard you specialize in psychology of fear. I've been an athlete for 10 years. Um, and this was a call on a Wednesday. And she says to me, my competitions on Saturday, typically what happens is Wednesday night, I get hit with a fear I sleep poorly Wednesday, yep. Thursday. Yep. I can't eat. Yep. Uh, and I know that even though I'm doing well, I would do so much better if I was sleeping and eating. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you can do to help me? I go, well, tell me more. Tell me how you feel when the fear hits. And she says, it's a Zoom call. She goes, she says, like, I feel like I'm going to die. Okay, oh, so wow. I pretend to write that down. <laughs> you feel like you're going to die. Okay. And this has been going on for 10 years. Oh, shit. And she goes, yeah. I go, so let me ask you to get started because how I'm going to treat and diagnose, I need accurate information because this is very data driven. Yeah. Like, so in the last 10 years, how many times have you died from your fear? And she goes, she goes, what? I go, actually in numbers, how many times have you died? I'm trying to collect that. She goes, here. right. She goes, I've never died. I said, okay. Interesting. Let me write that down. down. Like, Zero right, death. Right. <laughs> So I said, here's what you're going to do. And she's like, looking at me confused. I go, what you're going to do is you're going to welcome the fear tonight. Yeah. I said, do you have like a favorite black and white movie, an old movie? She goes, I don't know, like, uh, you know, Casablanca Perfect. or something. I go, great. Get it ready. I go, do you have any favorite bold books you like to reread every so often? She goes, yeah. I go, pull that out, go about your business. And when you start to feel the physiology change in your body, I want you to go, oh. Here it comes. Okay. Like a pre-contact cue. Yeah, in, in yeah, a fight. yeah. Here it comes. And uh, and then what I want you to do is I want you to move towards it in your mind. Grab your book. Get the, get the popcorn out. Get the TV on and go, hey, come here, you little fucker. <laughs> and I said, I really want you to say that. She goes, really? I go, yes. Yeah. Hey, come here, you little fucker. We're watching Casablanca. Yeah. And, and then we're going to read Gone with the Wind or whatever the hell, right? Yeah. And um, she goes, you're serious, right? I go, try this. Yeah. And uh, she calls me the next day. She goes, I don't even remember falling asleep. It was crazy. Interesting. You know, like, it's turning it around. So if you think of fear in a metaphor, um, if you worked out. If. If I only Are you did. still working out? <laughs> <laughs> I love when people ask me, are you still training? Obviously not if you're asking, motherfucker. Thank you. <laughs> so um, 
in, in this metaphor, your body's your car, yeah. your goals in life or your tactical imperative in a, in a, in, in a entrepreneur or a fight or a, in whatever is your task list. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Okay. In the metaphor, your car, your body's your car. Yeah. Your mind is the nav system. Okay. And the fuel is fear. If you think about comfort zone, discomfort zone, holy shit zone. And you remember this, like you took yeah. one of my classes yeah, 20, yeah. 30 years God, ago. I don't know. Right. But we had that, that, those three circles, the pretend Venn diagram yeah. of comfort zone. I, if, if I, these are things I'm cool with. And yeah. then someone says, we'll do this a little bit harder, faster, or more. Yeah. If you see yourself able to do it, you go, okay, it's going to suck a bit, but yeah. that's your discomfort zone. Yeah, you yeah. see now somebody changes stuff enough or quickly enough and you think to yourself, holy shit, that's the moment of the fear spike yeah. where, and this, and you've had this in, in missions, in fights, yeah. in, in deployments, in business, in relationships where you go, uh, you know, someone says, I got a problem and you go, well, we can get through this. I can figure this out. Yeah. Then someone says something uh, and you go, holy shit. Yeah. This, like, I can't repair this. Yeah. The holy shit moment always creates that doubt, hesitation, procrastination phase. Yeah. This is, so what I, what I try to do with the fear management stuff is bring, bring it into almost like a, like a military strip map, something so simple that says, here's where you landed. Here's where you got to go. Gotcha. And if you can do that, you start movement and that's, that's how you overcome anxiety. Yeah. So when you're talking about your fight, yeah, this is like a 30 minute answer to your, that's fight. okay. I love it. The, when you talk about that fight and you said, I was like, I had so much fear. I was so nervous. Fear of the unknown. It was fear of the movie you were playing in your mind. The acronym I love to use, you've heard me use this in yeah. cycle behavior, false expectations appearing real. Yeah. False expectations appearing real. When I'm visualizing a future event that's debilitating me in the present. Yeah. And it's usually I'm focusing on either my failure, I'm losing, I'm getting hurt, I'm yeah. not going to get out of this. Yeah. And when you run that movie in your mind, that's what creates all the anxiety. Yeah. When you catch yourself in that movie, I like asking people in our course, Yeah. you go to a movie, how many people leave a bad movie? Mm. And usually there's in a class, so let's say 30, there's two people that'll leave a bad movie. If I say to you, if, if, if you are in a nice restaurant and your food is cooked incorrectly, yeah. overdone, how many of you return your food? It's the same two uh, that return their food. Huh. People don't want conflict. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but if you peel the onion, it's like, why don't you just say, I ordered this medium rare. Could I send it back? I don't like, and say it nicely. And then everyone giggles because they go, oh no, you don't send food back in the restaurant because <laughs> they don't want the special sauce. Yeah, right? of course. <laughs> so, but if you peel that onion, Jeff, that's just fear. You're visualizing what they're going to do in the kitchen. Yeah. And it's, and stopping you from and doing it's changing you from doing, from asserting yourself in an intelligent way now. Interesting. So it's, it is the same thing for uh, combat sports, for violence outside, for business, for relationships. Well, any type of thing, any, anything that will involve conflict. Outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Outside your discomfort zone in the holy shit zone yeah. where you go. Mm. Wow. And then what happens is the fear spike you get. There's a, as soon as you get a physiological fear spike from any stimulus, mm -hmm. your brain, like if, if you bit down on something and all suddenly you get the sharp pain in your tooth, yeah. you're not visualizing happy Gilmore, happy place, <laughs> you know, midgets running. Can I say midget anymore? Am I canceled? 
Uh, well, I if you are so. canceled, too late. Too late. Canceled. Um, you now you're just a blob, right? Do you remember the, the happy place yeah, and happy Gilmore? Absolutely. Like, you don't. You don't go there right away. Yeah. When you you go ah, oh, you immediately go shit. Do I need root canal? Did I just break a filling? Did I just crack a tooth? <laughs> your your brain, and that's part of our nervous system yeah. because of how we evolved. Yeah, was always looking for threats. Yeah. So the the first thing we do is we worry about survival, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And and that's the baseline. What I encourage people to do is to immediately recognize the psychological movie as a bad movie. You're the producer, you're the director, you're the screenwriter, and you've cast yourself as the victim in your own movie. Wow. And if you can go, holy shit, I'm visualizing losing. Yeah. I got to leave this movie. Yeah. And then if you stop that, that's the beginning of self-awareness. You may still be in a very dangerous place. Sure. And you got to fight. Yeah. But if you don't, Dan Millman, you remember the book, The Way the Peaceful Warrior? No, I okay. don't actually. I really, really interesting book. You should give it to your kids. Okay. Like it's, it's, okay. um, I know you don't read, but give it no, to your I kids. Can't. But I can Get the audio. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> um, but Dan Millman, he said, if you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered. One of my favorite quotes. That's a fucking right? awesome quote. Because that's that moment where you're going, oh, say that again. If you face just one opponent and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered. Ah, fuck, dude. That is, is that good. That is iconic yeah wow yeah i love that one. that one is a fantastic well you know what's interesting too and let me let me get your input on this so like there's clearly a lot of things that have uh generated anxiety in, in me over over the, my years and one was um fear of heights and one of the things that i did to try to combat that was to expose myself to that on a more regular basis but what i found very interesting was when i got up to a route and, uh, you know, rock climbing, I got up to a route, I would start to get nervous. I would feel the anxiety. Mm -hmm. My, my palms would start to get sweaty. So I had to chalk up a lot. Um, I would like, even though I'm trying to stay focused on the task, dude, I'm, my heart is racing right now. Cause I don't like heights either. And I, and I, and I remember doing the same thing as you. And I remember being stuck on the side of a fucking on my, shimmering on, on my bunk bed, trying to get up to the, just, <laughs> I was like, I was like, don't fucking look down. And I'm like, you're looking down. Do not look down, mother. Go ahead. I'm I literally okay. have anxiety right now. Oh yes. Well, let's let's. So, but what's funny? Where's the oxygen? It's there is none. Okay. Yeah. But what was really funny about that experience was I would get to a point where the first few feet of that climb, I would still just feel that anxiety. Mm. And you mentioned this earlier about the flow state. I would get maybe just a few feet off the ground. And all of a sudden, my concentration on what I was doing at that mm, moment really took over. Took over. And I, I became a, a pretty competent climber and would later go on to be a lead climbing instructor and do all this other cool shit when it came to climbing. But that moment before I start to actually, you know, attack the rock, I still feel that level of anxiety. I still get those jitters, the butterflies, the whatever you mm -hmm. want to call them. And I'm not sure exactly what triggers that flow state, but I know. So like when you talk about like, we're always trying to get back into that flow state, there are very few evolutions that I can do that will put me back in that flow state. But that is almost one that I can guarantee high percentage that at some point in that route, I'm just going to be in that, that Zen moment where I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what's happening around me. There's just me. There's just the rock. There's just the grips. There's just how I'm climbing. Mm. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm, I'm, I've topped out and I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, if it's amazing. It's, it's what our mind and body can do together is yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, 
because of the risk and the danger and the fact that you were afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, like I believe that's the recipe for flow. Interesting. Um, and, but you can, you can hit flow state as a musician. Yeah. You yeah. Can hit of course. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like where you're not thinking about yeah, exactly. Anything. But I think there's something particular. Stephen Kotler's a famous researcher written a bunch of uh, books, actually interviewed a bunch of seals for one of his books. Um, uh, but he's, for a period, it's just studied extreme athletes because they hit flow state more than anyone else. Yeah, because of the danger. Really. So, so if you go, yeah, if my concentration or focus wavers in this jump, in yeah, this climb, yeah, 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 in yeah. this fight, yeah, I could die. That just intensifies stuff. And it's funny because you know I talk about uh, I was afraid of heights too, and. Uh, I went skydiving twice wow. as a fear management exercise because I like literally I'm going to go home and uh, on 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 Sunday we're going to go pick a Christmas tree and it gets nice. bigger each year <laughs> and then like last year look at this like 12 foot tree wow and, and uh, you know the kids go dad put the ornament on the top and I'm like you do it you should experience that I'll hold the ladder for you Come on, like like trying to trick them into doing it because I don't want to be up on the ladder. This is for your own good. Right. right. And, uh, and so here I am, I'm, I'm at uh, Fort Bragg, uh, like 15, 20 years ago, uh, maybe longer. I don't, cause I've been working with these guys since before nine 11. Uh, but I'm there on talking about the course we're going to run during the week. And, uh, it's Saturday. We're in a coffee shop and to finish. I'm talking to two guys. They're sitting beside each other and we finished the talk about the course we're going to run and uh the <laughs> is this for my phone <laughs> um, <laughs> these are great can i take one of these no fuck that's so good <laughs> did you ever see the uh, curb your enthusiasm episode where uh, they're putting drinks down on wood and staining the wood. And Larry David freaks out. Don't you respect wood? <laughs> you got to go. Oh, if you, check that out. You've never seen it. Get no, look I'm, at that. I'm noticing like three coasters for shit. Here. <laughs> oh, here. I got, I got one more. <laughs> That's our show, folks. Thank you. Oh. Oh, get serious, damn it. So I'm at Fort Bragg. Thank you. And uh, so unprofessional. And, and we finished talking about this amazing course we're going to run. And this operator dude in front of me says, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? I go, nothing. He says, you want to go jumping? I'm like, fuck. 
<laughs> I go like jumping and I go like up and down. I do this with my fingers. He goes, uh, funny. He goes, no, skydiving. I said, I, I knew what you meant. I said, no. Well, hold on a second. No. Wait a second. Let me, no. And I've already gone twice at this point. Okay. I've done a tandem jump. I've done a, a static line jump. Mm. And um, he goes, aren't you Mr. Fear management? What are you afraid of skydiving? Yeah, yeah. He does the air quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, in case you didn't notice, I'm managing my fear by not jumping out of the airplane. So put myself outside he, the experience. He laughs and the guy beside him laughs, but his laugh is like, ha ha ha, funny. <laughs> but this guy's laugh was a nervous laugh. And I knew immediately he didn't like skydiving, skydiving yeah, yeah. but he's in the same unit, which means he's qualified to skydive yeah. and he's a good skydiver if he wants to be yeah, on this course. team. Yeah. And so, uh, I said to him, you have no fear. He goes, no. He says, I fucking love it. I he said, I got over 600 jumps. I go whenever I can. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, no fear. I said, listen, something you probably don't know about me is I can't fold clothes. I'm horrible. In fact, if I try to fold a t-shirt, my wife, Jesse, will knock me out of the way and go, get at it. Don't do that. I may do that on purpose. So she folds the clothes. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah. But, but I'm horrible at it. So he's like looking at me like, where are you going with this? I go, I'm so bad at folding is what I'm saying. And he goes, so I'd like to, just to help you get ready for your jump today, I'd like to fold your parachute for you. Ah. And he leans towards me, Jeff, and he goes... You're not coming anywhere near my parachute. And, and while he leans in like that, I go, fear? And he goes, fuck. Ah! So do you understand what I did is I, yeah. I changed the movie in his mind oh, and it yeah. triggered a video in his mind of a malfunction. Absolutely. That's, and that's what I'm talking about, fears. Yeah. I, if I can get you to think what you shouldn't be thinking yeah. about. I don't know if this was in my course when you took my course. We had a slide on the psychology of intimidation. Mm -hmm. It's when I'm visualizing what my opponent can do to me mm -hmm. instead of what I must do to my opponent. Mm, I don't remember it if yeah. you did. So it's kind of like my spin on the Dan Millman thing. It's like I'm visualizing getting my ass kicked instead of kicking your ass. Yeah. And so if I say to somebody, hey, you want to go skydiving? Most people visualize dying. Yeah, burning and, in. Right? So they go, no, I'm, I'm good. No, thanks. Yeah. And if you ask... <laughs> And I've done this yeah. like in class. I go, how many of you would love to go skydiving? Yeah. Okay. If I paid for your jump tomorrow, how many would you go? And then hands, ooh, like I'm not ready. I got to work myself. Yeah. Because what they're doing is they're visualizing failure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so uh, it was a neat thing. And, it, and you know, just, just to, to wrap up some of the humor around this, the if I want to learn to skydive, I don't want to learn it from a 22-year-old adrenaline junkie who's sponsored by Red Bull. I want to learn it from a 55-year-old jump master who's, you know, fought through 30 years of battles and he's still alive. Yeah. yeah. So it's just this idea of, um, I, like, I, I really believe critical thinking yeah. is sorely missing on the planet now. Yeah. Uh, that self-awareness and critical thinking are interlocked and people don't realize mm. that. That if you improve your self-awareness, you improve your critical thinking. And, yeah. And um, so it's like, I really want to jump on an airplane. I'm too afraid. I'm visualizing failure. Wait a minute, but I really want to jump on an airplane. Okay. Like you, now you start to figure out, you start asking the right questions. Yeah. You start talking to the right people. So true. Like I, it's so interesting because I can recall moments of uh, like a fear spike as it, you know, like there was one, I had to go and do a photo shoot for a company and they were, 
promoting, you know, was this that nude one that you did? No, that's a different one. Okay. We'll talk about that off camera, but, um, no, this one was for a clothing company and they, um, they wanted some action shots. So I was doing like an O course and then I was going to fast rope down off of a tower and we set the fast rope up in, you know, something that I had done thousands of times, thousands of times. And I remember we get the fast rope set up. Everything looks good. And I'm about ready. And I've got all my kit on too. And I remember I'm, I'm reaching out to grab the rope. And just as I'm, just as I get both hands around the rope, all of a sudden, like, I just got this like wicked uh, wave mm-hmm. of indecision and all sorts of doubt that came in. And I remember I let, I, I backed up off the rope and I was like, what the fuck? What mm-hmm. just happened? You know, this is something that I've done so many times and I don't even know. So I got to interrupt here. Yes. The most important thing you did there is you backed up off the rope. The people that wipe out on fast ropes mm. and there's how many injuries a yeah, year? A fair amount. Yeah. Military, we lost firefighter, a lot of people, yeah. you know, uh, uh, cops, SWAT teams. It's they go because someone said go. Yeah. What you did is that was self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. That went fuck, and you backed off. Continue story. That well, was the most important thing. I'm glad you brought that up because I I literally backed off to try to understand why am I feeling these this self doubt, mm-hmm. and I I kind of like was like okay wait a minute what's going on and and like my palms were sweating again my heart rate increased my respiratory rate increased and then all of a sudden I just was like well you've done this a thousand times there's no reason why you can't do this a thousand and one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I remember there was a guy down on the, the the ground with the camera and he's like, what's wrong? Is everything OK? And I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm working <laughs> some shit out here, you know. And like I just, OK, you've done it a thousand times. You can do it a thousand and one. I reach out, grab the rope. And as soon as I got, you know, like maybe, you know, just a few feet down the rope, I mean, all of the anxiety, all that fear just was gone. It was like climbing, but going down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so, yes, exactly. But it was so weird because I can remember mm-hmm. that moment where when I touched the rope and was about to go, all of a sudden there was just this woof, this wave. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, backing out gave me the opportunity to address that wave and, and using just um, an awareness of what, what mm. that response created. You coached yourself through exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. But, but the thing about if if this was your son yeah. scared, yeah. You'd, have, you'd have put your arm around his shoulder, whispered in his ear, and said, you've done this a thousand times, you yeah. can do this. Yeah. Visualize the success, yeah, the exactly. experience. And um, that's what's so important. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, was I started to think about, okay, what do I, what are the, what's the absolute essential things that I need to do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I have to have a good, good grip on the rope. I've got to make Back sure. To basics. Exactly. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. And by focusing on those fundamentals, the essential skills that I need to do to, to not die and not focusing on dying. Right. I didn't die. False expectations. Visualizing. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. To break that apart and see that in real time. It's, it's just it's, so cool. It's, it's, it's neat. And the accidents happen when we rush. The accidents happen when we, mm. when we, jump into metaphorically and literally in this case, jump into a move with great doubt. Yeah. Uh, There are things you will have to do in your life scared. Yeah, of course. But the shift is I'm going to make fear my fuel. If you could say to yourself, whoa. Oh yeah. Okay. Fear is fuel. This is my, this, what I'm about to do is dangerous. Yeah. And my body's getting ready to manage the danger. Yeah. Uh, then this is the big thing. And it's why I always wear my no fear shirt on podcasts because there's no such thing as no fear. Mm. 
Yeah. There's yeah. only getting Can you do to that again because you're covering up your boobies. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, like the N-O. Yeah. But that's, I mean, and I love that company, the No Fear Company. Yeah. And yeah. I had all the shirts. Yeah. I remember them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I would do jokes as, you know, as a stand-up martial artist comedian. Yeah. I'd go like, God, I'm so scared up here. The shirt must be defective and everyone would laugh, right? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, but it was, I would explain to people like, like there's no such thing as no fear because the moment you go outside your comfort zone and you go, well, man, I just got a little fear spike there. Yeah. Why, why is my heart racing? Yeah. Why, is, yeah. why am yeah. I nervous yeah. here? Yep. Uh, that can have more impact on you if you built this whole model of you have no fear. Right. In fact, yes. what I like to tell people, and this might be your next tattoo, <laughs> is uh, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Okay. I love that line. Yeah. There's no such thing as courage without fear. Yes. Exactly. If I ask you to do something and, day. and there's no fear, it's, then it's the, not, you're, there's what, no courage yeah, needed. Absolutely. So like in that, in that uh, story I told you about the two guys with the skydiving. Yeah. The guy who wanted to go jumping wasn't being courageous. Yeah. The guy who was absolutely qualified, hates jumping, but knows how to do it. That's courage. Yep. He goes like, I fucking, and every time he goes jump, he goes to jump. He thinks about burning in first. Then he goes, no, to not die, I need to follow these exactly. rules. Exactly. God, I love that. I mean, now that I've kind of like unpacked that a little bit more, it's pretty impressive. And and because I know that I've done that in many other instances. Some people figured out and uh, as, as you did, and you had, you know, good mentors and good training, but yeah. you, you were able to coach yourself yeah. through it at the same time, you know, in many ways we have similar personalities and yeah. there's times we're calm and there's yeah. times we're excitable, Yeah, but there's like, you know, when you're rushing and you, you, you didn't eat enough and you didn't sleep enough mm. and you're like, you know, you're trying to type something in your phone and your thumbs are fucking up. Oh like, yeah. Fucking shit. And what do you, <laughs> and, but what do you do is you go faster and you yeah. make another mistake yeah, so and you true. make another mistake. Yep. It's yep. this idea. So I look at fear, especially for people in, in the, you know, the second amendment community and, and, you know, military law enforcement, uh, which is most of my audience. Yeah is I explained to them, think of a fear spike as a stove pipe. Think of it as, as okay. a, a malfunction in yeah. your gun. Okay. I like that. And what happens is you know how to do everything and all of a sudden, and your gun jams. Yeah. But you still have the weapon. You're still attached to the weapon system. You're still in danger. You're still in a gunfight. What yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to clear that jam as yeah. fast as you can yeah. and get back in the fight. So when you're, you've got the skill and for some reason, this time you get a fear spike. It's like a double feed. Yeah. It's like the, yeah. And you go click. You need to just, that self-awareness piece goes, I just got a fear spike. Yeah. I've got doubt and I'm hesitating. Why? Clear yeah. the fear. Yeah. Get back in the fight. I love that. That is a great metaphor. Folks can really attach to that, yeah. especially in this industry. You're absolutely right. Quick word from our sponsor. We've been working with the folks at 1776 for comprehensive insurance of our firearms collections, and um, I'm really happy with how things are going so far. And one of my concerns is with the amount of commuting that I do with my firearms collection, um, what happens should my vehicle be broken into or stolen with my firearms? And there's reason to have this concern because there's 800,000 vehicles stolen per year in America. So it's not, you know, it's, it's a little bit more common than we might think. What I mentioned earlier is that they have a comprehensive insurance plan, which is that they will cover your firearms stolen out of your vehicle, or should your vehicle be stolen, cover the firearms that were in the vehicle. So that's pretty, you know, pretty reassuring in a sense. So I've mentioned this before, but the process to apply is pretty easy. Uh, approval is pretty quick. They do not require you provide a itemization or serialized numbers. 
There's no appraisal or schedules that you have to provide. So really all you want to do is just make sure you have proof of ownership and that's it. So if you want to learn more about the folks from 1776 and insuring your firearms collection, visit 1776insurance.com. Okay, so we, you know, we, we're, <clears throat> you've discovered martial arts. You've, you've gotten on the path at a back, very, we're back in the 80s. Yeah, everybody. back in the 80s. You've gotten on the path um, early. Did you, what, what do you feel like in the beginning you used the martial arts to help you kind of manage your own fear back then from the fight, from that? You, know, you can pick any one. There's four of them. Oh, motherfucker. There we go. Nope, nope. It's like Thomas the Tank Engine. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, so you get it. You get into that little that's the little scruff with those two guys. You go right. back and you talk to your dad, and then you know after that you started to explore martial arts in an effort to try to manage this right. this anxiety, this fear that you discovered. So then you know years later you would continue to study this and and formulate a, a you know a strategy a strategy that you could box and share with other people. So. What is something that you like based off what you've been doing for the last 40 years? What is something that you do for yourself every day that continues to push the needle or move the football? Wow. As an aging athlete. Yeah. That um, and we are all aging athletes. Uh, I st- I'm still teaching four times a week. Wow. And 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 I prepare for my classes and I'm using some I'm, I'm still mentally sharp and the mind navigates the body, which means I'm physically adept and sharp, even though my body doesn't move nearly as fast or like it used to. Uh, but I go, I've, I've had some, I I don't want to really talk about them, but I've had some bad injuries Mm. that have, you know, caused some chronic issues that, uh, that there's days that I can't move well. And there's days that I, that I can, but I keep like barring those, friggin dips you know i'm i'm moving i i have a garage gym yeah that you know has got bags and striking yeah. and cert pistol gun tomahawk and yeah. i'm always messing around with shit i get that heart rate up work a complex motor skill at an elevated heart rate a lot of misconceptions around heart rate and interesting and and, and that but i just i listen i abhor violence yeah and, and which is why I practice and train it because I don't ever want to be yeah exactly in that this goes back to the childhood of watching those guys I don't want to be in a situation where I didn't have an option yeah and um and so uh I continue just to I mean I do my best you know there's a, a Latin expressing kidos uh, deset mm, uh, which nice. which is I love the way you look in my eyes oh I know no, kidos deset you're means, not the only one kidos <laughs> deset is Latin for those who teach uh, those who teach learn yeah um and uh, so I wouldn't know everything I know yeah. about managing violence yeah. if I didn't have students yeah so I, um, there's a part of me that goes you like. I don't know if you remember this from, from way back in the day, but uh, in 1980 is when I really started teaching. Okay. I trained, 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 uh, got asked to uh, teach a 15 year old kid who's uh, the, the son of a real good friend of my father's. He got into a fight, got his ass kicked after three months of private lessons. Ooh. I, I go that his loss hit me harder than the guy who hit him. Wow. Because I was so upset that he lost. Cause I thought I was training properly. Yeah. And that's probably the, the, the second most important to use the term origin story of how to start your business because I was working for my dad at the time. And uh, 
in, in the in the clothing business, manufacturer, importer. And when I got asked to teach this kid self-defense, because I was a fanatic, I was like, oh my God, this is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. And I'd always, I'd been teaching tennis and skiing. And I was like, I love coaching people. Yeah. But he lost the fight. And in that moment, uh, Jeff, when he told me the story where the kid had shoved him and he grabbed the kid and slammed him against the locker bank and said, never put your hands on me. The kid drops him on a left hook. And I'm like, Mitch, why didn't you block or check or parry or move or do any of the shit that, <laughs> that I showed you? <laughs> and he goes, he looks down, he looks up and he's, he goes, well, I was holding him with one hand and I had my school books on my other hand. And if you visualize this, imagine you got both hands free yeah. and I come up, are you Jeff Gonzalez? And you yeah. go, yeah, why? Listen, motherfucker. <laughs> like, if you want to hit me, it's like, oh, we should have hit this guy. I can yeah. hit him anywhere. Yeah. Both your blocking and striking tools are tied up. Yeah. And I and I tell the story like it was like the god of self defense hit me in the head like with a lightning bolt. Wow. And I thought at 20 years old, 1980. Oh my God, we teach self defense wrong. That started this whole idea that if you're not reverse engineering it from a scenario, yeah, then what you're doing is you're just practicing in the abstract. Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, you asked me like, what do I continue to do? I study scenarios. I look at something in the news. I look at something that somebody asked me and I go, how between stimulus response, you got gap time. Yeah. That refractory delay is your reaction time. So I'm looking at how quickly did I have a solution for this? Yeah. And if I don't have a solution, then that had been me, that would be a problem. Yeah. And so and keeping the mind sharp. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I do in our in our courses is I love that. Violence loves speed. If action's faster than reaction, and the bad guys always action. Yeah. In a violent encounter. Yeah. You know, and uh th- a lot of systems as good as as good as the skill sets are, the complex motor skills can be bypassed, executive function can be hijacked in during sudden violence. Yeah. And so your reactive brain kicks in bypasses your complex motor skills where you store all of your, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll yeah, do yeah, that. yeah. You got to recalibrate your brain really fast. Yeah. And that's really our niche in the industry. Yeah. Is is managing the fear yeah. in the two seconds before the fight everyone practices. Yeah, yeah. How do you get out of a headlock? Everyone knows how to do that, but people don't really practice. What happens at a neurobiological level that made me flinch or move that allowed me to get caught in a headlock? Yeah. So- it's 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 a neat thing. So I'm con- I continue to think like that and work on that. I shit. love hearing that. I think, well, I like whether you are rehearsing scenarios in your head, whether you're um, reviewing your your tactics, like when you kind of like walk through, like I'll do this if they do that. That, in my opinion, is one of the kind of like secrets mm-hmm. to success is the fact that you play you put a heavy emphasis in mental, the mental game. You know, so many of the students that come through classes, they uh, are so fixated on the physical side of the game. And that is great because they need that. They need to be able to develop the complex motor skills. But the the bridge between those two is your ability. And I always tell people like this is a, this, this plagues me in many, many cases where uh, students are, are committed to trying to have the fastest draw possible. And I'm like, I think that's important. You need to have a fast draw, but rather than think about how fast your draw is, you need to think about drawing sooner, Mm. which is that mental game that they play or that they should start to play to kind of like, okay, I need to be ahead 
I don't, instead of like the reacting aspect of it, mm. I need to be at the acting fast, the, mm. the acting facet. And that's where I mean, that's what I mean by drawn sooner is like, you need to be out thinking your opponent, not necessarily trying the, to outperform. There, there's a, a term we coined when I was working with asymmetric warfare. I can mention the name now cause they're disbanded. I know. But, uh, so but, sad to see that. Yeah. So a, a bunch of their, I'm trying to think if I should talk about this. Okay. Um, <laughs> so their shooting program, a lot of the, a lot of my psychology, cause we did, we had a, a, a long, long contract with them. Nice. Their outcomes based training yeah. modality was heavily influenced by our research on psychology and problem solving. Nice. And so, you know, I talk about these, this, how do you improve your reaction time? How do you get faster? Yeah. Well, you improve your perception speed. Okay. By because the mind navigates the body, so we came up with it wasn't react; it was preact yes. contact. Yeah, yeah. And it was how do you preact? Well, that's understanding all of the pre-contact cues, but then, and in, in, in we break down skills development as uh, quickness versus suddenness. Interesting. Go go Qu- deeper on that. Yeah. So quickness is let's say you're teaching me how to get a better grip on my on my gun. Uh huh. So I'm trying to do that. You're going to hey, stop rushing. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to go as fast as I can slow yeah. down, get it right. Yeah. So now what I'm working is the neural, uh, neuromuscular communication between you going beep or yeah. you going do it again. Yeah. Um, and so quickness is how fast can I efficiently and effectively do a complex motor skill? Okay. Suddenness, which in, in, uh, and, and I'm giving this to you to use yeah, for please. your courses, yeah. not just here in the podcast, because yeah. you'll love this. Suddenness is how quickly you can move in relationship to a real world stimulus. Okay. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're really fast. So I can go here like this and I could go, check this out. You, you and I are having an argument at the table here and I go, Wah! and I smash this bottle in your face. You yeah. go, wow, that was really fast for an old man. <laughs> but, so I go, well, look at this. I can, I can move really fast. Look at it. But can I do that when I'm nervous? Can I do that when I'm scared? Yes. Can I do that if there's two guys here? Yeah. Can I do that when a guy puts his gun on the table and goes, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. Go, well, I'm thirsty. And then, <laughs> like, can I build it into a real world scenario? Yeah. So it doesn't matter how quickly you can demonstrate. Yes. Your speed is only relevant yes. if it's functional in the real world. Yes. So the suddenness yes. is how quickly you can move in relationship to a real world stimulus. I love hearing this. So we, I try to explain it in a, in a similar way by using the terms planned event versus an unplanned event. Planned event is, okay, I know it's coming. I know there's a tone. I know there's an up command. I know there's something. I'm, I've preloaded the actual technique or the the sequence of actions that need to be performed. I preloaded them. I'm good. You know, right. so just just let me go. Whereas an unplanned event, I'm bebopping around. There's no, there's like there's limited pre-conflict cues of some right. sort. And I'm just having to react to what I see. And what I try to get across to people is you're going to learn more about how you react mm-hmm. in an unplanned event than you ever can. Like I'm not saying not to work at having a fast draw for a planned event. But how does that translate to an unplanned event? Yeah. How do you how do you kind of like factor in? Okay, well, if I'm doing a one second draw right now on the range where I have a known target that's right in front of me at a certain distance and I have everything, my fire, my firing solution is already created and I've mm. already loaded it. Like how and does you know that where translate? the target is. Exactly. And you know where, all of that stuff is all predetermined. Yeah. We we yeah, we call that ACP awareness, consent, and preparation. Yeah. yeah. If you have awareness, consent, and preparation, you're you're 
theoretically optimized yeah, to do you're, well. you're in the best position, yeah. best case scenario there. But how, how, like my question to you is how reflective is that of reality? You know, the, like the plan versus unplanned. Yes. Yeah. You, you, and that's why studying real world scenarios, I hate when there's an incident online mm-hmm. and everyone in the knife community goes, that's why I carry a knife. Everyone in the gun community <laughs> says, that's why I carry a gun. Mm. Uh, the people in the scared community go, that's why I don't go outside. Right. <laughs> but like, unless your gun is duct taped to your hand. Right. And you go, fuck. And you flinch. Oh, I got a gun. Right? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Remember James West with the Derringer in his oh, sleeve. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. I got unless, you. Um, the bottom line is you still have to weather the ambush. Yep. And the ambush can be emotional, psychological. It doesn't have to be a, like a physical thing. Yeah. You've got to clear the malfunction, clear yep. the fear. Yep. And then go, what is the best thing for me to do right here? Yep. And um, so how do you how do you prepare for unplanned events? Well, you study scenarios. Okay. Because there aren't, you know, people, if I ask you, and you remember, our, our, I don't know if you remember the names because it was decades ago and you're old. Um <laughs> But the, the, no comment. Okay. And, and, uh, uh, but you remember we did this PIA matrix, primary initiation attack matrix on yeah. the board, primary and secondary attacks. How does a fight start? And if I, when we first start the exercise, the whiteboard exercise, we go, how many ways can you get attacked in a real fight? Yeah. And the class, I think yeah. like 30 people in your class. Yeah. Like it was like, I don't know, unlimited millions. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the martial art thinking about? the counter for the counter. Yeah. Well, there's a counter for every move. Yeah. So there's infinite ways to move in a real fight. Yeah. Now think about false expectations appearing real or false evidence appearing real and the move in your mind. If you actually are taught as a kid, there are millions of ways to be attacked, but good news is there's a counter for every counter. Yeah. If you at some level, an unconscious level store that you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm going to do. Yeah. I hope I do the right thing because yeah. there's millions of options. Yeah. Yeah. And if you remember the exercise with 30 experienced cops, military, public safety professionals, we never get past 22 credible attacks. Yeah. You start writing it on the war board and people start at, like throwing in like, you know, Kung Fu this. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Marshall. I go, no, no, no. Yeah. This has to be something we've seen in a real fight. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize it's, it's violent shove. It's a sucker punch. It's yeah. an uppercut. It's yeah. a stab. It's a slash. Yeah. It's a front kick. It's a shin kick. It's a tackle. Wait a minute. I'm running out of stuff. Yeah. We And we usually, the list dies out at about 17 to 20. Yeah. And you're really. And, and then I go, and how many of them are used to start a fight? So yeah. if you and I are carjacking, ATM, home invasion, fights have to start. This isn't Star Trek yeah. where bad guys beam in and we're going, fuck, suddenly I was in a triangle choke. <laughs> oh, suddenly I was in a headlock. Yeah. Suddenly there were two guys behind yeah. me. Yeah. And I'm not making fun of martial arts. I'm a martial artist. Yeah, I've yeah. been a martial artist my whole life. Yeah. I'm just explaining that that if you don't look at the mental blueprint, like the 30,000 foot view and realize there's a detect and avoid phase, there's a diffuse and de-escalate stage, and there's, a, there's three stages, the three Ds. Yeah, yeah. That changes your perception speed. If you improve your perception speed, you improve your reaction time. Yeah. If you if you now remember what started my whole company was my student losing that fight in 1980. Yeah. Because I was teaching Mitch techniques. I wasn't teaching him how to think. Yeah. And problem solve. So true, man. And so oh. I, I and so when you build it from the scenario out into the headlock 
uppercut presentation of, you know, we do gun disarms from out here, but we don't say, I got a bad guy in front of me and I can see he's printing. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden he goes, and his hand starts to move. And I, but we don't do drills there. Most yeah. of the drills we do are yep. Jackie Chan gun disarms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we wonder why people hesitate or overreact. Yeah. And because we're not working on clearing the malfunction, which is the hesitation and sudden doubt. Yeah. We go, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm about to fast rope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clear the fear. Yeah. I got, now you have access to the skills. Yeah. So true. It's, it's, it's a neat, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I, I sent a, um, a tweet out a couple of weeks ago where I said, and it was misunderstood. I said, the least important part of your training is your technical skills. Where people read that as, oh, Tony doesn't like grappling. Tony doesn't like boxing or Tony doesn't think technique's important. I go, no, like you could, we could do a scenario course with somebody who's never held a gun yeah, and they'll suck because they're going Right there, they're afraid of what do I do here? Um, the the baseline technical skills are critical, and and so we have a, the the flow is is that I I tell people is is uh, you start off you be you start off as a technician yeah then you become your own trainer you're starting to do drills yeah and then the last phase is coach your ability to coach yourself through stuff but it's also the same thing as a firearms instructor who just says put your feet like this hold it here, get your thumb here. He's just a technician. Yeah. If he says, do this course of fire this many times, you need to get into this speed to be considered proficient. Yeah. That's just trainer. Yeah. If I'm looking at somebody and they're always anticipating, anticipating recoil or yeah. jerking the trigger or can't control their breathing, that's coaching skill. Yeah. Because they've got some fundamentals. They don't want to share how you do that naturally. Yeah. When one of the courses I took with you. Yeah every morning you started us at 25 yards yeah. old yeah. and we had to shoot. Yeah. And uh, I think there were 25 or 30 people in the class there oh. and uh, it was your class. And I think three people passed, mm. which is a high number for your it class. It is. Right? It is a high number. <laughs> right. I think you were drunk and that's why you passed them. But <laughs> the, um, but, and, and, and I think 27 of the people in the class were cops. Yeah. And, and no offense <clears throat> to cops, you don't no. practice enough. And uh, um, we're there and people very quickly realized that we knew each other and we were going to be busting each balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm at the 25 yard. I never, I'm not a shooter. Yeah. Right. And I get there and I miss and you're like, okay, you scared the guy. You fired a shot. He knows like you fired around over his head. Are you going to hit the target? And I'm like, fuck off. Right? <laughs> and then, you know, I'm shooting and I'm like, God damn it. Like, you know, and everyone's missing, but you're standing near me. And I say, <laughs> Because we know each other and we got this little <laughs> shtick going. Yeah. I go, guys, it's a democracy here. We could vote Jeff <laughs> off the island. This is bullshit. Like, what's the, what's the stat? Most gunfights happen in three to five yards. Why are we shooting at 25 yards? And everyone's looking at me because they're like afraid of you. And and you look at me and the quick thinking smart ass you are. You look at me, I don't know if you remember this, you go, and you'd been in my house and I, you know, I work hard. My house is beautiful, big, big. Yes. And you said to me something like, hey, let me tell you why you learn to shoot at 25 yards. Let me ask you this. Your son's bedroom. Yeah. In the corner of your house. Yeah. 
and the door at the other end of your house. About how far is that? You remember this? And yeah. I, and I, and yeah. I go, I go, uh, it's around 25 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and you start, you just looked at me and I said, excuse me, range is hot. I got to practice. Could you move? But, but in all seriousness, yeah. we were joking around, but yeah. in that moment, yeah. you gave me a scenario yeah. where this skill suddenly was relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And it made me, I got goosebumps now. Oh. Um, it made me realize, okay, you, you might never see your kid or your wife or someone again. If you need to be the courageous bystander or that, that person yeah. who's going to make that shot and you go, and you've always talked yourself out of practicing that yeah. because of fear. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I vividly remember that. That was, that, that's true. And I, I, I loved the, I love that expression afterwards. Like you had this, like, like, like all of the wind from your sails, which is right. gone. Right. And then you, repurposed your, right. per, your, your persona to getting good at shooting at the 25 yard line, which I thought was very commendable for you because you, you, at that moment, you weren't necessarily the best shooter in the class, but then as what? soon as you, you weren't the best shooter. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm, where I was going with that is after that little dialogue and that exchange, your shooting performance improved dramatically because you had tied it to. I some, missed closer. Yes, this is true. <laughs> I'm like, like the, the shot here. And yeah. It's a, nope, nope. <laughs> Jeff, it's touching the tape. No, I said inside the tape. Yes. They're, they're, I like to reference that as <laughs> but, um, But that's a great point about. You made it relevant. I, uh, well, the other thing, too, is like you presented me with a, a good opportunity to address something that's very, very real, you know, like, again, people want to avoid what they suck at. They want to, and it's because we are fragile. Our egos are very fragile and we try to do everything. Why are you can. looking at me when you say that? Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. But the thing is for everyone listening to this, everything you do with, with respect to uh, uh, your business, your communication, uh, your self-defense should be relevantly connected to a real life scenario. Yeah. So true. And you know, like the, the big takeaway that I try to give students for why they want to shoot a distance is to this day, still the example that I used at that, in that class, you know, like what's the distance from your front door to your children's bedroom? What, mm -hmm. what's the distance between, you know, your driveway where the kids are playing and your back door? You know, what are these, what are these scenarios that will help people just get past that little roadblock and obstacle mm -hmm. of some sort? And then, you know, because it's a physical skill that you, you can do, you just don't want to do because it, it has a negative uh, emotion tied to it somehow. And then once you get past that, you're, you're, you're back on the right track. All right. Let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. What's been the biggest challenge in your life? Wow. There's, there's, there's been a bunch, there's been a bunch. Sure. Uh, I would say the biggest one now is, uh, some of the, the abuse I put in my body <sighs> that has caused some uh, some nerve issues that prevent me from being moving the like like I've moved my whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fucks with my head a lot. Oh, really? And, uh, um, and that's being you know totally transparent. I could give you yeah. you know the time some guys uh, uh, ripped me off in my business. And yeah, I had yeah, to close yeah. a twelve million dollar yeah. company overnight. Yeah. Like you remember that? Yeah, I do like, totally. Like that was 
the worst time of my life, except for the other worst time of my yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. Except for that other worst day time that of my I life. said, this is the worst day. Yeah, for sure. Out, you know, so uh, the, the, the big, the biggest one for me is a lifelong mover Yeah, is, is not. And, uh, and then I see, I'll see shit on the news or I'll see, you know, you know, uh, uh, some, some vet who's doing amazing shit who is severely injured. Yeah. And I'm like going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, get, yeah. Get moving. Right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I'm definitely, you know, high mileage athlete feeling the uh, aches and pains more, more regularly these days. And it's so funny too, because I feel like one day I woke up and all of a sudden they were all there. Mm. You know, it wasn't like a nice progression to that. It was like one day, Oh geez, what the hell? Mm. And I can sympathize with you in that aspect about, you know, we have an image of our former self that we try, we're trying to either live up to or live with. Mm -hmm. And like my, my physical, you know, challenges that I'm dealing with are, are probably not the same as yours, but they, they certainly have a, like an impact on me psychologically, yeah. you know, because I will, I will make up excuses for myself. Like, that's one of the reasons why I started running again was like, I made up, you know, like, ah, oh, man, I put so many miles on my body when I was younger. I'm just like, oh man, it's just like detrimental to me. I'm not going to do that anymore. But there was, and it took me a while to get back to it, but there's a point when I'm running that it's actually enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. And you just got to warm up longer. Yeah. Holy shit. My, my mobility and stretching has changed. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's changed. I'm actually doing it now. Whereas right. before I used to yeah. not do any of that. We never, that oh, I mean, God. the whole, when, when we were growing up, there was no warm up. Yeah. There was no lacrosse ball. And, yeah. 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 Foam roller. No, no, not it at was all. Like literally let's go light. And then yeah. You yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, but I will say this, like I, um, those moments when I'm in a, a, a good state, I just enjoy more. Mm. Like I, I don't get into them that often. I get back from a run. I feel, I, I feel great. You know, I'm running with uh, the dogs now. So that mm. makes it even That's better. Cool. Yeah. It makes it even better. So like I have found little ways to try to overcome some of these aches and pains that are actually kind of like starting to, uh, restrict some of the activities that I like to do that mm -hmm. I enjoy doing. Like my grip strength in one of my hands is, is, is down so much compared to what it was. Mm, you know what you got to start doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that little tip there. You just, that, you just strengthen it with, yeah. the, with those Captain and Crush. Cow, yeah. Iron Mind hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure those will help at this point. Uh, a, a lot of it is, you know, not just like, I think I um one what I I can't recall exactly when I did it but I I know that the 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 tissue and the tendons are still intact but everything else is just mm. mush everything else is just mush. So my point is that I take a little bit more uh or I'm more grateful for those times when I'm in those moments mm. where I'm actually enjoying the things that I'm doing I'm moving well I'm you know, they're, they're fewer and far between now when I'm at that peak state, like the peak state that I can recall from my former self, those states are just shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, but I like, you know, I, I do try to do something for myself every day. I do try to mm -hmm. like reward myself, if you will, by stretching. Like I figured like <laughs> that's how I look at it now. Like, Hey, you deserve to go out there and do some stretching. So that's kind of one of my things that I've been doing is a, is a, and during, during like the pandemic, it became something that I did like every day, mm -hmm. every day I was doing something, 
you know, some sort of mobility exercise or stretching routine or something along those lines. Um, and then as soon as like the pandemic was over and I was back to business, I was like, oh, fuck that. I don't need to do it anymore. And there was like a period, like about two and a half months where it was great. And then after that, all of a sudden, oh my God, what's that going on? I had to go, goes, had to get, goes fast, man. Yeah, it does. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. You, um, you started the business back in the eighties, mid eighties. And, you know, you have had such a powerful run in the self-defense world, really powerful run. What have been some of the landmarks that you, like, you look back at and were pivotal in not just success, but in continued movement forward? Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, I was out uh, in Perth, Australia, working Ooh, with, with, you know who. Yeah. And uh, I get a car ride back, uh, like an Uber taxi, whatever, back to my hotel. And, the guy picks me up at the at the gate, so he knows where I where I am. I mean, everyone knows what the, what the the location is, and he goes, uh, "You can tell by my my lack of Australian accent that yes. I'm a foreigner." Yes, he goes, uh, "What do you do over here on business?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "What do you do?" I go, "Well, you know, I got to kill you if I tell you." And he laughs. <laughs> I go, "You're driving, so I don't want to kill you because then, <laughs> then I might I, die. I might die." So he laughs, and uh, I said, "I just I I teach combatants." And he goes, oh, how long have you been doing that? And I just answered quickly at the time. It was like, you know, 37 years or, or you know. And he goes, 37 years. He says, you've been doing that for 37 years? He said, how old are you? And we started talking. He <laughs> said, you've had the same job for almost 40 years. Wow. And it, I'd never thought about that. Oh, yeah. Right? Because most people are like, do this, do this, do this, yes. do this. I've had the same job since 1980. Wow. And it's when I started teaching. Within a week. Sorry, within a month of my lessons with that kid, Mitch, yeah. I had 30 privates with other kids. Mitch's brother wanted a lesson there across the street. So I was wow. working out. So I was working full time for my father. And then seven days a week at night and weekends, I was teaching self-defense. Wow. And uh I did that for five years until I was like, I was like, holy shit, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Working? I don't I don't enjoy ladies import. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Told my dad I'm leaving. Opened up uh, uh, my first school. I've been teaching private and I've been doing that, you know, ever since. And this talk is like, realized that's really crazy that I've had one job for it now, is. now 40 plus years, years yeah. right? So um, the the 80s were my incubator period, Okay, right? So 1980 when Mitch lost that fight, that changed our protocol. So in the same way you said to me, Jeff, because there's a lot of guys who go, hey, guys, we're going to shoot from three yards, five yards, 10 yards, 15 yards. And they're actually warming up backwards. Yeah. Which doesn't create the psychological stress inoculation of so the challenge true. problem. Yeah. Because when you get into a gunfight, you're not warmed up. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. And, it, and it may be like three in the morning. Yeah. You hear something and, and, and that shot might have to be in the dark across three rooms or whatever. Yeah. So um, that fight that Mitch lost, everything we did from that day forward was, what's the scenario? Why are we doing this? It was always Socratic. And then I would say, then people would understand the relevancy of it, yeah. which would help them lean into why they're practicing something. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for years. Uh, we started doing 
Fight Club type force on force shit. Yeah. Way, way before Fight Club was it. Yeah, yeah, and remember, yeah. Remember, yeah. you know, we launched those panic attack tapes yeah. in 1986 through Panther. Oh, and, my God. Uh, you know, and we would, like, we were videotaping shit on VHS. And yes. It was, like, six on ones, six yeah. on threes, yeah. three on threes. Yeah. And we would, but they were all, like, full-on scenarios. I'd go, Jeff, go stand over there. Yeah, yeah. Turn around, pretend you're taking a leak. Yeah. Two guys would walk in the bathroom. Yeah. Is that the guy? And you'd have to do all the pretend you're doing up your, your fly. Yeah. Talk to the guys, not yeah. blowing pot. It wasn't just get in the ring and tap gloves. Yeah. And I remember bringing a, uh, a tape to Joe Jennings, who owned Panther Productions. And uh, this is in San Clemente, California. It was his headquarters. And I'm waiting for him. And he's editing a, I'm not going to mention the name out of respect for the guy. He's still around, but he's one of the most famous reality-based self-defense trainers around. Huh. And they're editing his instructional video. And they're, I hear Jennings, he, he sees me, he goes, hey, just give me a minute, just finishing. Yeah. So I'm standing there. And he goes, he goes, replay that one. He says, okay, let me see take nine. He goes, no, take nine looks much better. Let's use that one. Okay. And I'm watching going, and you know this filming stuff. You take yeah, takes. Absolutely. Takes. And I'm going, I didn't know they do takes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, shit. You don't get do overs yeah. in a street fight. Yeah. Right. And um, I show my videos, and we're doing like these, like true force on force, headbutts, elbows, multiple, you know, and the whole scenarios. And Jennings watches like a minute of the tape and then pauses it and goes, holy shit, you guys are really fighting. <laughs> and I go, I go, well, we're not really fighting, but yeah. this is realistic fake shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, like as real fake yeah. shit you can get. Because we're wearing those at the time I hadn't developed high gear. Yeah. So we're wearing the Kyukushinkai uh, super safe, their knockout helmets, plexiglass helmets. Oh, I remember those. Hockey gauntlets. Base uh, uh, taekwondo chest guards, baseball shin guards. Yeah, we're like Frankenstein. Suits. Yeah, yeah. So we do those things, and but we would have monthly uh, seminars where, excuse me, where we'd like literally carefully beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, like, uh, we had an expression, you know, be a good bad guy, be a good good guy. We're really gonna fight. Training can hurt, but should never injure. Yeah, that yes, and. Uh, so we did that. I did that for like 13 years like wow. where I was yeah. analyzing that's. And so it was in the middle eighties where I realized, you know, I'd say I, this one guy comes in street fighter from downtown Montreal, cauliflower ears, broken nose scars. And he was so overwhelmed by the scenario. He rolls over, he, he's tapping, he's pushing away danger. And then this other 120, we'd have like 10, 15 people at these seminars. And I remember this at one time, this, this little girl, I mean, young lady, 120 pounds, sexual assault victim Oof. sitting there shaking like tears in her eyes waiting to go yeah scared shitless but somehow she thought this would be cathartic if yeah. she learned how to defend herself yeah. and it is and she fights like a badger oh she, my and, god yeah but she's not going key eye she's yeah. like fuck you like and, yeah and i realized i went you know if we were sitting here and i was passing her on a hat i go jeff let's bet on people yeah the big guy with the cauliflower ear yeah. the broken nose you go he's yeah. gonna do well yeah She's going to, like, she's crying already. Right? <laughs> like, the, like the Tyson thing. Yes. And I realized, and I said this in the beginning, and it might have more value now, only the people who can manage their fear will manage to fight. The operative word is to. Yeah. It doesn't guarantee victory. Yeah. But if you're in the fight, win or lose, you have your dignity. Yep. You've got your, the the impacts of whatever your thoughts are on PTS or PTSD 
are if you were in the fight and you fought hard, but it just wasn't your day, yeah. you can still go and look in the mirror and go, but I fucking fought. Yeah. Right? That's As opposed to I cooperated or I hid. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it was, it was significant. I know you wanted to ask something there. And it's sure, okay. I think the, so there were the 1980, that fight turned everything into scenarios. Yeah. Uh, doing the fight club esque, we called them panic attacks because I would have people write on a, on an index card. I'd say, <laughs> Hey, what's your, what's your scariest scenario? Yeah. And you might say, um, I'm traveling. I don't know my gun. Two guys do this opportunistic attack. Yeah. And I, and guess what your scenario would be? Yeah. You know, yeah. I go, Jack, you're, you're like motherfucker. Ah. Right? But what that would do is that would induce that moment before the fast rope. Yeah. That yeah. would induce that absolute fucking doubt moment. And now you'd have to clear your fear to get into the scenario. Yeah. And uh, what people don't realize is, is when you got, when you're wrestling with the fear in your mind, yeah. you can't access whatever skills you've developed. Yeah. People don't realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's tough. Right? So go ahead. You well, no, I was just going to add, like I, I remember when within NSW, we started like the actual, what I consider to be relevant combatives program that has since been, you know, modified and altered and replaced. But the thing that I remember most about it was it was one of the first times that we actually had scenarios. Like we were training for a scenario. We weren't just learning. What, what year did you start? Were you in going? To- uh, so the, I was exposed to that in about 89. Okay. So 89 was when I first, but what I meant, the the point that I was bringing out was it was the first time, like we had done some other combatives program, but it had been like learning katas and, right. you know, attack angles. Moves, techniques. Yeah, like, exactly. Like every exactly. Yeah. But the first thing that we did was we learned, uh, like we, we, we laid out scenarios like, okay, you know, that were relevant to me mm-hmm. and my job. And the scenarios were, you know, number one man going through the door. All right. You've got to, you, you know, you just, there's an unknown on the ground. Now you got to put hands on. Now you've got to move this person through a crowded market. Now, you know, so all of these scenarios made sense to mm-hmm. me. And <clears throat> it was that tying in that, if you will, a buy-in mm-hmm. that then opened the floodgates. Because that was what was, I thought, really unique was we started with the scenarios and we then after the scenarios, we then were exposed to techniques mm-hmm. and then we returned back to the scenarios. And so you kind of got like a before and after mm-hmm. view. But what I love too, was the, the contact, like that was also the first time that we actually had almost full contact. Like there was a, the caveat, um, you know, Hey, every one of us needs to deploy. Yeah. Nobody can get hurt, but you know, don't, you, you don't be a, you know, don't, don't let your partner get away with something mm. that a bad guy wouldn't let him get away with, mm. you know? And so keep each other honest. And that was revolutionary. That yeah. was a complete mind that shift. That was, I don't know if you know this, but it was Naval Special Warfare that jump-started high gear. They were my first client. No, I did not know that. And they waited. I brought to, uh, um, prototypes yeah. to Coronado. Yeah. And I was teaching. I, I went in to do a demo yeah. for the gear. I'd done some stuff with with uh, Little Creek guys, yeah, uh, and then they were impressed with yeah. my approach to the scenario. Yeah. But they, at that point, you had that one month long course yeah. that had just kicked off. Yeah, they said, "Hey, all combat is is run out of the West Coast." Yep, and I I set up. Uh, I'm going to tell a funny story here, Good. real quick. Um, you know, you can't just call up the Navy SEALs and go, hey, my name's Tony Blower. I'm from Canada. Can I come show yeah. you? Right? So I got a point of contact. Um, did you know Mike Jaco? Yeah. 
Okay. Oh yeah. So Mike Jaco was a point of contact at the time. And uh, so I got a number from a Lieutenant Colonel who was real impressed with our stuff. And, uh, but I went, he might not give a shit. And I, and I, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, uh, and LAPD was putting together this, this uh, kind of smorgasbord, all these, they had 50 different martial artists putting together a program. Nice. They knew who I was and they, they had like Benny the Jet or Kidez and Bill Wallace and the Gracies yeah. and the Machados. Yeah. And, and it was funny because like, like all of the, it was like, it was like the UN of self-defense, <laughs> right? Like every different country there, but also like all the politics. Yeah, oh God. And uh, oh, so much politics. So I called them up because they knew who I was through the magazines. Yeah. And I said to them, hey, I'm coming out to meet the Navy SEALs to show them my gear. Would you like to come see it? Would you like to see it? I'll come see you. They said, well, what day are you meeting with, with the teams? And I said, they haven't confirmed yet, so... You tell me what day. So they said, can you come on Wednesday? Now, I knew they had been cross-training, LAPD uh, and the yeah, SEALs, right? Yeah. So then I called up Jayco, who I didn't know. Yeah. And I said, hey, uh, Tony Blatter, I got your name from Lieutenant Colonel so-and-so. Hey, I'm coming out to show the LAPD my gear. Knowing, <laughs> I go, uh, uh, you know, while I'm out, do you want to see it? So as soon as I said, you know, oh, what day are they doing? I said, Wednesday. He said, yo, can you come down Monday or Tuesday? And that's how I got that. Nice. But they. That's too they, funny. It's funny, right? So I, I went out there and they're showing me all this stuff. In fact, I wrote an article recently um, and I, I made a real clickbaity uh, <laughs> uh, title. Is I, the title was, I armbarred a Navy SEAL and immediately regretted it. <laughs> and this is a true story. I'm, I'm in their training compound and. Uh, uh, We've just done the high gear demo. They were about to order a competitor's product. They love the high gear so much. You remember, 10 pounds, head to toe. Oh, yeah. You can do anything you want. Yeah. Muzzle strike, headbutt, elbows, yeah. flex tie. So, and a lot of stuff you couldn't, you couldn't put someone in a trunk, yeah. open the trunk and then have a fight start. Yeah. But you could in high gear. Yeah. So they were doing all sorts of, they were able to do all sorts of stuff in it. They said, we're ordering this, canceled that order, but they were just prototypes. I didn't even have a manufacturer yet. Wow. So they actually, you know, Howard, this is the military. They do. You get a PO. Yeah. You can't make adjustments as a vendor. Yeah. They changed it four times over eighteen months to wow. make sure our gear was insane. Wow. Um, but they were our first client. But here I am at the. The story's crazy. Uh, we're there. They go, hey, this gear's really great. They, they go, so you do a lot of scenario work. And and they adopted our ballistic microfight model, and as as of a, a lot of other organizations, and uh, they said, well, what, what do you do for training? What's your system? Yeah. And I said, well, everything is based on what's the scenario. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of people think if you do a gun disarm that you're practicing scenario based training. Yeah. But I go like, if I stick a gun in your face and I go, you're cheating with my wife, motherfucker. <laughs> or I stick a gun in your face and I got a mask on and I'm going, give me a wall. Hurry up. Yeah. That's one's a robbery. One's a, I'm going to murder you. Yeah. And then one is get in the car, get in the car. Yeah. Right. One's a kidnapping, secondary crime scene. They will all have different psychological impact on you immediately. Yeah. The counter might be the same, but the emotional, psychological duress right before changes. So true. Are you with your girlfriend? Are you with your wife? Are you with your kids? Yeah. All of that changes. So just practicing how to get over a headlock or how to do a gun disarm isn't practicing scenario training. No. So we've done so much research on this. And this is relevant to the story because the guy says, well, you know, like in your system, do you teach gun disarm? So he picks up a training weapon on the table and he grabs it. 
He says, can you show us some of your gun disarms? Like maybe we'd be interested in hiring you. So I said, yeah, sure. So he stands up and he grabs the gun and I could see by his forearms and the grip <laughs> that he was getting ready for a counter. Yeah. Right? Like nobody holds a gun like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't work. Like yeah, it was, yeah. It was just like, this is my grip for yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and fuck up whatever you're going to do. Yeah, of course. So he's standing there like this and I see that right away and I'm standing in front of him. So I go, look, you know, everything's a scenario. I said that before. So I need to know, is this a robbery? Is it a kidnapping? Uh, are you moving to a secondary crime scene? And he smiles at me because he knows I'm trying to get in his head. Yeah, so he yeah. smiles at me. And he, goes, <laughs> he goes, nice try. <laughs> and I go, no, seriously, man. And I go, fuck, he's on to me. Yeah. So I go, but seriously, man, like the move I do is going to be influenced by the scenario I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. Which isn't necessarily true in a gun disarm because you got to just get away from that little hole. Yeah. And you got to take the gun away from the guy. Yeah. There's not a whole bunch of choices. Yeah, that's true. So, but I'm trying to get in his head. I'm doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm not the droid. <laughs> and he stands there and he smiles again. And he's like this, Jeff. He goes, he smiles. I go, I turn to his, there's five other guys that are six trainers. I go, guys, it's got to be a scenario. I go, it's the scenario. There's different moves for each scenario. And he looks at me and now I see him thinking he's now done this three times. Uh, maybe, maybe he's not tricking me. Maybe he wants a scenario. Yeah, yeah. So he goes like this. He goes, like, and he, the gesture, like I'm thinking about the scenario. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, okay, it's a kid. And as he says, as it's a kidnapping, I go whap, and I grab the gun, right? <laughs> and I and I redirect it offline. But he's a fucking Navy SEAL combatives instructor. <laughs> he went from fuck surprise. To he dropped down as I started to twist it. He dropped down and came up to my groin, like he he took a, <laughs> he took a knee to take the pressure off his wrist. Yeah, and he comes up to like fucking uppercut me. But I don't even know if he's gonna pull it. Like everything is like <laughs> I don't know this guy. I just met him. He's gonna punch me in the fucking balls. And as I roll down, so if you if you visualize this, I should stand up and demo this. But as as I roll down. He's like this. Fuck the sound, guys. You got to see this. Like, he goes, oh, down to the ground. I'm like this here, like in, in position. I'm narrating. And, and I immediately see, now, here's an interesting thing. This is in 2003. Okay. What significant event in our combatives history also happened in 2003? Uh, I think it was like uh, the first UFC. UFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First UFC. Which I wrote, oh. I was there for three, I was writing for three magazines. I was cage side. Wow. I, I watched the, uh, the whole thing and I had begun being obsessed with ground fighting. Yeah. I went up to, after Hoist won that, I went upstairs uh, to my hotel room with my buddy Walt, who I didn't know was a black belt in jujitsu. <laughs> He'd been bringing me to his school to teach uh, uh, spear and our scenarios. and. When you remember when Pat Smith tapped out on the ankle lock with Shamrock? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I went, I said, is this shit fixed? Is this like, are they? He goes, no. That doesn't look real. I go, if somebody grabbed my ankle and leaned backwards, I'd sit up and punch him in the face. He goes, no, like if it's on properly. Yeah. Like he goes, the difference between like a sprain and a tear is this, and a difference between a tear and a break is this. Yeah. If a guy's got it on right, I'm like, and in 1993, most of us didn't know anything about submission. Yeah. So I said, well, 
my threshold for pain is pretty fucking high. <laughs> he says, let me show you. We sit down on the floor. He puts it on. And I'm like, how do you know this stuff? He says, oh, he says, I'm a jujitsu black belt. <laughs> By I'm the like, way. <laughs> I go, well, how come I never fucking knew that? He says, well, because I always bring you in for seminars and we just never talked about it. I'm like, oh, okay. So he cinches this on and he goes, see, feel this. And I go, yeah, but what if I, and I go to lean up and he goes like this. He goes, <laughs> and, I, and I feel my shin go, mm. oh. and I go, oh, fuck. I go, uncle, oh. uncle. I go, he goes, see, he says, and if I do this, and I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> Let go. I, I go, dude, <laughs> fuck. He said, uh, he said, have you ever had anyone in choke, like do a, a lateral vascular neck restraint, a carotid restraint? I'm like, no. He goes, you want to feel it? I go, I don't think so. He goes behind me. I'm like, oh, fuck. He starts to put it on. I go, dude, if you kill me, I'm going to kill you. Like, right? So he puts it on. I'm like, fuck. So I immediately say, you're coming to my school and teaching. And every fucking month I brought him up. I had a guy in my class named Angelo Exaharkis, last name. Big, strong guy. I said, Angelo, you and I are partners. Walt's up there. Walt Lysak, shout out. Fucking killer fighter so what was his last name walt lysak out of out of ludlow mass okay um his whole family badass um i was doing uh, i was invited to one of his combatives camps one day and i'm standing there and i pick up danger from a distance yeah (laughs) and i'm watching i see this guy park in the parking lot he's 100 yards out i start walking and i'm going this guy's coming to kill somebody there's this is a problem yeah this guy is walking and i'm like (laughs) my heart is pounding and i walk over i go where's walt he's over there What's wrong? We got a problem. I go, Walt, look over my shoulder. There's a psycho walking towards the event all alone. He goes, oh, that's my dad. Like, this is a true story. His father, like legendary, he goes like, when when he would go on a binge back in the heyday, it would take six cops to arrest him. But they oh, would say, they would, they, his name was Walt. And he was Walt Jr., Walt yeah, Sr. Yeah. They go, Walt. We got to bring you in. Could, could could you please not fight? <laughs> and sometimes he'd say yes, and sometimes he'd say no. Oh my and god! Was, like legend, like legend, oh right? Oh my god! So um, that's awesome. Um, so so Walt comes up, he starts training. So I say, Angela, you be my partner. So I'm training, and I'm a good athlete. I'm picking up shit fast. I'm doing stuff, and one of seminars, like I'm doing stuff with with uh, Angelo, and he gets on top of me on this first seminar, and we're supposed to position get out of this here's the counter and i'm like and i can't move this guy angelo and i'm like fuck i go let go of me i go how the fuck do you know this perfectly right away and he goes i've done this a little bit i go fuck off first i find out walt's a black belt i go what do you mean you've done this a little bit he says i was on the canadian greco-roman wrestling team i go how did i fucking not know this Jeff, these are true stories. I go, he's the guy's pressure been, must have been intense. Dude, he's, he has been a student of mine for almost a year. I go, why didn't you ever tell me? He goes, because I came here to learn yeah. your system. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I just, I wanted to be a student. I wanted to learn. I love said, that, man. You are starting a grappling class next week, <laughs> motherfucker. Right? Like, and this guy, every month he would go train in New York. Oh, with Henzo. Oh, he was a geez. private student of Henzo's. Oh, my God. And on the Greco. Just Tony the pretzel. <laughs> Holy fuck. So 
Um, now let me finish the Navy SEAL story. That's fine. Okay. So I've gotten very good. Yeah. yeah. You, you know me. You've yeah, worked with me. Yeah. I'm fast. Yeah. I'm strong. Yeah. Yeah. I understand how to move. Yeah. So this guy goes down like this. And what do I see? He's on one knee on the ground like this. Yeah. I see a fucking arm bar. Yeah. And, but I'm in an enclosed, uh, uh, um, training facility with six Navy SEALs who asked me about gun disarms, but my neural patterns from grappling for the last nine months. Yeah. Every fucking day I stopped doing everything else. I had to understand yeah. this. I went right into an arm bar. And as I rolled back in the arm bar, he comes back, the guns in his hand still. I bring it up into the arm bar. I slide his hand over. I bite his thumb. <laughs> so his hand opens. My left hand grabs the gun. I stick it in his ear. I come over the arm. So I've raised the hips. I'm arm barring. And the gun, I've never done this move, but I see it. Like, as it comes down, I do the disarm with a bite. The gun's in his right his right ear. He's armbarred. He's like, fuck. And it happened. Imagine, you understand how fast that yeah, happened, Yeah, yeah, right? very fast. The five guys standing are like, holy fuck. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. But they think I'm like a genius. I don't know what happened. They're like... Dude, we're, we're, we're booking you. We're, we're bringing you into train. Yeah. I go, I go, okay, cool. It was the end of the day. Can you come back tomorrow and do some more stuff? We'll start working on a contract. I like, I'm sure I don't sleep all night. And this is important. And you know how much integrity I have. It gets me in a lot of trouble in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just say the truth and people are like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Um, I came back the next day and I apologized to the six of them and they were like, what for? That was great. I said, because I could have done that gun disarm without doing an arm bar. Yeah. At that point, over the top, I could have broken the wrist or half speared the guy in the neck, dropped an elbow, yeah. punched him in the face with the gun, or grabbed his head, brought him around, yeah. and, and turned on you guys. Yeah. If I was really thinking this is a scenario, the scenario would include I'm in a confined space with six unknowns and yeah. a guy just pulled a gun on me. Yeah. But what I did is I armbarred you because all I've been practicing is ground fighting. Yeah. And I recognize that. And this is why I talk about, uh, there is no such thing as muscle memory. Mm. Everyone uses the term muscles don't have the capacity to store memory. Yeah. If you've got a gun in your hand and you're threatening me and I go with a katana and your arm is on the table yeah. with the gun and I've cut your arm off, will you shoot me yeah. with that hand? No, because there's no muscle memory. Okay. Right. It's disconnected. Gotcha. So I make this joke that if you aren't situationally aware and your brain, like you're not consciously connected, yeah. you won't do the move you thought you were going to do. Yeah. And so there's neural patterns, but not muscle memory in the literal sense yeah, 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 that yeah. people, people yeah. think. I, and I think sometimes that term gets uh, a little overused in the case. And, and I think it also is used misappropriately. Like they're, they're using that because it's a catchphrase mm -hmm. and without understanding that it's not necessarily the muscles themselves, but it's those neural pathways that yeah. we're trying to, you know, the myelin around that. That myelin sheath. Yes. Yeah. Trying Signal to, speed. Yes. We're trying to get faster. Exactly. That's the quickness, suddenness. So if we go back to that, how quickly can you move suddenly in relationship to a real world stimulus? That's what you said. If we go back 20, 30 minutes where you said planned versus unplanned. Yes. Well, how do you create abstraction speed? If I know A and I know C, I can figure out B pretty quickly. Yeah. 
So the, the, the trick is to look at everything. So what bothered me about this arm bar where they, they wanted to hire me because that move looked like a John Wick move. Oh, sure. This is 2003. Yeah, yeah. You, you've seen, you, that's, I, I actually think that was in a John Wick movie. Probably. Art like sure. arm bar. Yeah, I'm sure he's done something hand. like that. Right? Yeah. I just passed. I just, but that was 2003. That was an unplanned event. And what pissed me off is that my muscle memory that doesn't exist, the neural patterns yeah. of finding a way to submit somebody yeah. overrode the strategy and logic of what's the safest thing I could do in a scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's understanding that and how, if you want to get faster in the real world, you look at the scenarios that could happen to you, the scenarios that happen to other people and you go, do, does my skill set quickly support a solution. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that point, does my skill set quickly support a solution? Like that's kind of one of the things that we've always tried to get across to people. And we call it, we call it the look. Like a good example is when we do assaults, we're doing CQB and stuff like that. <clears throat> my, my goal is to expose like at that point, the individual should have a prerequisite level of skill, mm -hmm. right? I'm not trying to teach them that stuff. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put them in a variety of scenarios that will, the hope is, is, is like plant a seed of familiarity in their brain so mm -hmm. that they're able to, to, to get that look and, and more quickly process what the right thing to do is. It's not going to be perfect, mm. you know, because we can't choreograph for every single, you know, no, no one room is going to be replicated in every other structure right. that they're going to go to. And when we started to take that approach years ago, it, 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 it digressed away from, you know, the one man must always do this. The two right. man must always do that. And and it was uh, the, the like the really early stages of initiative based tactics where you had. But the only way for initiative based tactics to work was to provide the individual with enough different looks mm. that they could then kind of like put in a repository that they could quickly. And again, some big words for you. Uh, I like it. Man. <laughs> so they did could, you say suppository? <laughs> that's that was a Freudian slip for you, though. OK, <laughs> but they could quickly recall that under pressure yeah. without and, and really what we were trying to do, the ultimate goal was to everybody has to make those split second decisions in those types of scenarios. What our goal was, was to increase the out, the, the positive nature of the outcome. So in other words, their split second decisions, we needed them to be more right than wrong. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of being able to kind of like give them that look and that, that familiarity that you're talking about, like the scenarios that well that's what that bullet so our whole thing was how do we make scenario-based training more effective and so what we did is we said i don't want any free flow here yeah i want you to and i'm going to use the word you just use replicate the behavior the exact behavior that we know we're going to see yeah how do we know that well because we've got body cam yeah. We've got helmet cam. Yeah. We've got CCTV. We've got smartphone yeah. of behavior. And if you look at, go back to that PIA matrix, that primary initiation attack, we we see what a knife slash or stab or somebody going bang, yeah. bang. Yeah. We see. And so what we got people doing is taking, instead of having that catwalk view uh -huh. of the scenario, uh -huh. the and you've done some of these with me, where we said, look, 
I want the auditory, visual, and tactile pre-contact cues of this threat. This was this be a good, bad guy. Yeah. So we take that, because what we're trying to do is, is educate what you call the look, the, the mental blueprint. Yes. I've seen this before. Yes. And I've actually had um, uh, cops write me after an incident saying, the bad guy did exactly what my role players were doing in training. And next thing I know, I'm doing this. Yes. You know, and that's that's what we're trying to do across the industry. Yes. Is you, you we need, like behavior determines the use of force choice. Yeah. So, and that's just morally, ethically, and legally sound logic. But what we have very often in scenarios mm-hmm. is people just trying to get to the marking cartridge, kinetic, not in the, like the, you know, the, yeah. not real kinetic, but the marking. I want to do Sims. I want to do UTM. Yeah. If I go, hey, you're going to breach. Guy goes, oh, fuck, I don't get to shoot. You yeah. Know? <laughs> right. Because he knows all the fighting is going to be done yeah. by the time he gets in the room. Yeah. So like get it away from the game and isolate it so that we're getting better looks, yeah. nuanced looks of, to, to the point of, you know, I saw his pec flex and yes. like, that's your pre-contact cue. If you're doing your training and I'll use a more simple example, if you're doing like a line drill where I'm throwing a punch and you're doing a block yeah, and you're trying to get that look to create, okay, when he does this, I'll do that. Yeah. While that's useful, nobody walks around the world like this. Yes. If the hands are here. Yeah. And then the guy's got to think, Yeah, can you pick up the energetic intention? Yes. Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. Yeah. Can we build this black box of intuition into decision making? Yes. And you can. It's not it's not magic. It's like like I'm here like this, you and I have an argument, and I go, you know, fuck you, man. And you go, fuck you. And I go, what did you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, when did this fight start to yeah. get real? Then the guy goes, what'd you say? <laughs> and then you go, I, I, I waited for him to get me in a headlock because that's the only count. That's how like, I knew to fight, yeah. But the fight started eight seconds before I walked around the table. Yeah. But people don't train like that. They train on, hey, here's how you stop a punch. Yeah. Here's how you get a headlock. So true. They're missing the three seconds before the fight, <sighs> the pre-fight. Well, let me ask this. Let me ask you another question then. <clears throat> like, as you as you kind of have explored all of the, the psychological aspects, what's been like the, from a um, value added to the student, like what's your go-to? Like I need to get, I'm going to have a limited time to Mm. work with this person. This is the most important concept Mm. that I try to get them to understand. Great question. What's that going to be? That's confidential, Jeff. I'm sorry. Yeah, but Um, we're, we're we're not going to share this. Okay, good. I promise. So <laughs> can I have that cough drop? Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> the suppository. Yeah. Um, so I didn't rub anything. So the, uh, I was joking. I was, the distraction to take this off here. Oh, nice. oh boom. Uh, can we have a clip, that clip on film? I just want that clip where, uh, so most important takeaway. Yeah. There's two and but they're intrinsically connected. Okay. One is that fear can be your friend. Mm. It's heavy. Yeah. Because I work with some of the world's best tactical athletes. Yeah. In fact, um I did 
a course with NSW, not going to mention anything else. And I said to each one of the guys in, in this line here, we had a bunch of guys in high gear, a bunch of guys out. And, you know, this guy's boxing, this guy's MMA, this guy's jiu-jitsu, this guy's Thai, thai, bo- uh, thai boxing. Yeah. I said, visualize your go-to move. You got uh, like a, uh, a confrontation, guy standing in front of you. And if I said to you, someone's in your face and you're pretty sure this, you're trying to defuse it because you're now retired, you got a business, yeah. you got a gun, you're like, come on, man. And I go, if you were going to empty hand, what's your go-to move? Yeah. What is it? For me? Yeah. Probably more like a palm strike. Okay. So you're thinking palm strike. What yeah. that does is is it preloads you to think palm strike. I call this the unconscious bias. Oh, If you're I like a grappler, yeah. it's, oh, I'm going to double leg the guy, choke him out. Yeah. If you're a Taekwondo guy, yeah. you're going to be thinking a kick, right? Yeah. Taekwondo is a kicking art. If you're a boxer, your hands are down, you're going to, oh, I'm going to hit this guy with a liver shot, uh-huh. right? Or uppercut. So think about this. Will a boxer... It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. Will a boxer go, hmm, I think I'm going to try a round kick to the head today. <laughs> Never, right? Would a Taekwondo guy go, I'm going to try that that uh, rear strangle today? Yeah. No. Yeah. Right? So all of us have an unconscious bias yeah. for our go-to move. Yeah. So I had all of these guys lined up. They're all badasses, right? World-class tactical athletes. Yeah. I said, what's your go-to move? Visualize that. Your role player is going to come in front of you and he's going to be in your face. Fuck you, man. And he's going to give you a little poke. And at one point, he's going to attack you with either a headlock or a tackle. So, and I said to everybody, understand that I have inserted a safety mechanism so nobody gets hurt here. You know what the two moves are. Yeah. You know what the pre-contact cues are. Yeah. Nobody's going to get injured. Yeah. But I want you to pull off your move. Okay. So everyone's like, okay, piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. The guys are standing in front of each other. And if I said to you, put your hands up, Jeff, like this, and get, get ready to palm strike the bottle. Okay. Okay. And I'm here like this. And I go, get ready to palm strike the bottle. So but before we go, are you a left, lefty or righty? I'm a righty. So I just smashed you in the face, right? Because I, and look how slow I went. Because I got you to think about something at a cerebral level. Yeah, yeah. So I had worked with the role players out there. I said, you need to make your move in the middle of a question. Okay. Or while they're talking. Okay. Because I know it changes the connection, the signal speed yeah. between neuromuscular communication. Yeah. If I, if you're about to beat me up in a boxing match or an MMA match, yeah. and we're in the middle of the ring, and Big John McCarthy says, "I gave your instructions in in the changing room. You guys have any questions?" And I go, "Yeah, Jeff, bang!" And I, I punch you in the face. I knock you out. I'm disqualified. <laughs> but I go, I knocked him out. Right? Yeah, I win. But right? It's because. Even though you knew the fight was going to start in 10 seconds, yeah. you weren't ready for the start yes. to start now. Yes. We call this, you've heard this term before, the jack-in-the-box moment. Yes. We all know there's a clown that's yeah. going to jump. And I could be there with my three stooges, double my fucking finger jab ready. And I'm going, when the clown pops, you're still moving second. Yeah. You're still like, fuck, fucking clown, right? Close the lid, try it again. You can never beat it because action's faster than reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do this thing with all these guys. 
And the guys are like, hey, man, remember me, motherfucker? Hey, back off. And they're getting ready to do their palm strike or their uppercut or their or their sprawl or whatever. And all of a sudden, the guys go, hey, you know, motherfucker, what's, was that you with my girlfriend? And when the guy goes, hey, they, they'd move while the guy started talking. And everybody in the room went, whoa, and flinched. Yeah, yeah. So you asked me, what are the two, what is one thing? I said, they're t- connected. Sudden movement triggers a fear spike. The fear spike does two things depending on the proximity to the violence uh-huh. or the danger. Okay. If it's sudden, your body deploys like an airbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it does a start of flinch. Yeah. Learning how to weaponize the flinch yeah. is like an airbag deploying in an accident. If I said to you, are you a good driver? You'll go, yes. Have you ever been in a car accident? Yes. Was it your fault? No. Of course But not. if the accident happened at a dangerous <clears throat> speed, what was part of the safety, the resolution, was the airbag deploying. Yeah. So the metaphor here is the airbag deploys independent of thought. Imagine if you were in a car accident, speeding along, oh, fuck, and you had to go, ah, shit. Oh, there's the button. Yeah. Imagine if you had to push a button to yeah, deploy yeah, an airbag. Yeah. People would fuck that up. Probably die. In the high stress. Yeah, yeah. So I want, so the, the thing when I tell people is as good as you are, something can happen at a distance, a proximity, a, a rate, the unplanned event triggers. Now, what I need people to understand is I don't care what a badass you are and what you did before. Your body's survival system, the amygdala hijack, the limbic system will deploy a startle flinch because of fear. Yeah. It's anticipating impact. Yeah, yeah. How important is situation awareness? Yeah. Everything. We have the expression, no awareness, no chance. Yeah. Well, situational awareness is a conscious cognitive skill. You need to be awake yeah. to be situationally aware. Yeah. And you need to be conscious of being in a situation. I need to be aware that I'm driving. That's why like when you're texting as a passenger and something happens, you're like, ah! right. Yeah. Yeah. But the driver's like, Oh fuck, that was close. Yeah. Cause he's conscious and aware. Yeah. And, and so it's the same thing. You're sitting, you're sitting here. If I say to you, watch these prisoners and you're here like this, you're low ready. Right. Sorry. Of course, man. Right. Of course. So, <laughs> so you're here like this. And then one of the prisoners goes, you're like, dude, stop moving. Yeah. Right. But if I'm not aware, I don't notice that he just went to a two point stance. Yeah. And he's getting ready to fucking jump me. Do something. Right. So the thing and the, the, why I told you this, this story is I stopped the guys after I go, you all had a go to move, what we call the unconscious bias, but all of you deployed your airbag first, then went to your move. Yes. You had to recalibrate. You had to clear the fear. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. And then what am I going to do here? And sometimes your go to move might put you in more danger. True. You got multiple assailants. Why are you bringing the guy to the ground? Yeah, yeah. Now, if he takes you to the ground, you can't be afraid of the ground. You better have a solution. Yeah. So the 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 deeper answer is understanding the neurobiology of survival, that when our conscious cognitive situational awareness is compromised, our body deploys the survival reflex, the start of flinch, yeah. cover the head, push away danger. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't do that if there's no physiological fear and psychological fear. Interesting. And yeah. so getting people, so the the hardest thing that I've had with the martial art world, the self-defense world, concealed carry world, uh, combatives world, defensive tactics world, is getting a certain uh, uh, populace, remember I said if I could you know, monetize my haters, I'd be 
very wealthy. Yeah. To go, Tony's not trying to stop us from doing jujitsu, krav, boxing. I love I'm I do all that shit. Yeah. I'm a martial artist. Yeah. But what I recognized in the 80s is that fear slows us down from getting to those complex motor skills. And if the the emotional, psychological, or physical attack was extreme enough, our body will do all you you you, you know this. You go into a shoot house right now. Yeah. Does anyone listening to your show shoot? Probably. Okay. Maybe one or two. If you go into a shoot house, into uh, uh, a, and you look at the doors, where are all the missed marking cartridges? Yeah, yeah. They're always high and in the corners, in corner-fed <laughs> rooms, or over the doors in center-fed rooms. Because even if you've got a sling on or a gun, the emotional psychological system for the person who's truly not stress inoculated. Yeah. Their hands come up to protect their head. Interesting. So if I'm on your chest yeah. and I come around and I go, oh, fuck, there's a role player and you've got the drop on me. My nervous system rises. Eh. The hands. Eh. It, if So if I didn't have a gun, I would go, oh, fuck. Yeah. So if I've got a gun, it's rising. If you're yeah, 10 feet yeah, away. Yeah. Now people are going, what's he talking about? Go to a shoot house and look above the doors and you will see hundreds, if not thousands of missed shots there. And they're all eight, nine, 10 feet up. Wow. Are your role players giraffes? <laughs> or are, is your op for basketball players? Yeah. How the fuck do you explain yeah. that? Yeah. It's understanding the neurobiology of the startle flinch. I love that. I love that. So you can bring, so trainers and coaches, my whole thing for decades now is going, don't hate me, hate the bad guy. If there were no bad guys, we, we'd be out of business. Yeah. I am just trying to make your students safer, which is what you should be trying to do by, uh, like we train trainers. My company is a train the trainer company. Yeah. So I'm not trying to take your students. I'm not trying to take your business. I'm trying to bring this neuroscience, neurobiology, startle flinch research into scenario design so we can make the world safer, yeah. the good guys safer. Yeah. Well, uh, as it relates to the scenarios, because I thought that that was super valuable that, you know, you you kind of like front loaded everybody with an idea and then you waited to see what their response was. <clears throat> How, like, is that a similar approach towards kind of getting that buy-in because at that moment, that's a genuine response. Yeah. There were like 20 or 24 guys in the class, 19 or 23 of the guys got it right away. Yeah, And then they yeah. were like, so in the type A community, which is everyone we're talking about, yeah. if, if I said, you're going to be on the cover of Navy times, army times, yeah, doing this going yeah <laughs> right you'd go hey can we do another shot yeah right like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i don't want to look like that yeah right if you were in a gunfight and and it was like you going Ugh, yeah because you knew it was an ambush yeah but you were just trying to return fire and you were close enough that you knew you didn't need so front sight right so true so and we've done gunfighting courses together yeah, so yeah. you know you know exactly yeah. what i'm talking about um and we should do that again Those absolutely really great. i love that and so um, if you need to weather the ambush, convert the flinch, recalibrate the brain, clear the fear. Yeah. And that can be done as fast as you can do a reload. Yeah. But you do, sometimes you have to do that here, like step back off the rope, clear mm -hmm. your head and then go. 
what felt like an eternity was maybe a couple of seconds. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, the buy-in happens when people realize that start of flinch conversion is about weaponizing the start of flinch, that this doesn't mean you're untrained. It doesn't mean what you're doing is shit. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're a coward, but in the type A personality, yeah. me saying, let's yeah. talk about fear and its yeah. impact on your performance. Yeah. You guys are like, oh, I don't talking like about? I don't have erectile dysfunction. No, that's not where I was going to. <laughs> I was like, right. I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but guys don't want to, they don't want to talk about that. So yeah. I got to find fun, clever ways to get Absolutely. people to go. I thought I was going to do this, but I did this. Yeah. I, I had a guy who um, I can talk about a Shane Faison who's got like three, 4 million followers on, on YouTube. Huh. He's a really, really good martial martial artist good boxer, good kickboxer, but he's more of a coach. He's not a, yeah. he's not a, he's done some fi amateur fights, but he was over at my place one day. We're talking and I had one of my top guys over Adrian. Um, and I said, I said, Shane, if a guy got in your face and he started shoving you and your hands were up and he came at you, how hard do you think it would be for you to go whack and just fucking punch him in the face, jab him? I mean, you're really, he said, well, that'd be easy. Yeah. And I did the same thing I did. With, uh -huh, with that. Uh -huh. But this time it was with Adrian in full high gear. Oh, wow. And, uh, and we filmed this and he, I said, are you sure you'll be able to jab him before he get his hands on you? <laughs> and he goes, well, now that you're telling me what he's doing and you're getting me ready, planned, yeah, visualizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, so what I do is I, I get the guys to stack it in their favor. Yeah. So when I go, why didn't you do that? They're like, have a hard, I, I don't have an excuse. Yeah. 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 I go, like, Tell me when you're ready and then we'll start because yeah. when you don't do what you said you were going to do, I don't want you to say, hold on, I wasn't ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you don't get to fucking say that in a real, in the real world. So, so, you know, coming back to your question, which was great. What's the most, what's the one thing? The one thing is understanding how we think affects how we feel. Yeah. How we feel affects how we think. Both of them influence when and how we're going to move. Love it. So we have a an idea of how we want to look and yeah. how we're going to move. Yeah. But we're not getting as deep an education on the emotional psychological factors that influence. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. I I, I set up a, a live one of the courses that we did with Alan Brosnan and oh Tease yeah and all, yeah back in Love the day. Alan. Um, I set up a live fire event, and I'm not a live fire guy. Yeah. But I said, here's what we're gonna do, guys. Uh, scenario is this, we had high gear, we were at Alan's old place, T's outside Memphis. Yeah. And, uh, I said, we're going to do this guy opens the door. Fucking you're in there, spear the guy, knock yeah. him back, run down, run here. So they had a 20 yard sprint. There was another fight there. You got to get the guy in the ground. You got to flex tie the guy in high gear. Wow. And then we had a facade outdoor range tie, you know, the, 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 the tires. Yeah. Yeah. And, shit. and I said, we had a facade with a window. I had two targets. They were both, um, uh, steel targets, you know, the, the hostage target with the neck. Yeah. And it was like this, right. You know, okay. like, like that bad, bad guy, good guy yeah. on top of each other. And I, I said, okay, you've just hit a guy, run, sprinted, fought a guy. I said, I want you using, you're going to be doing this run with your duty gun. And everyone goes, we're not supposed to do hand to hand with a duty gun on. Huh? Right. I mean, that's normal. You'd have a cert or, oh, I see or a red saying. or blue okay, gun. Okay. <clears throat> I said, it's not going to be loaded, but you will have two magazines that have ammo in it on you. Huh. And people were like, 
okay, this is like, that violates most, you're not supposed to do yeah. any defensive tactics. And I said, guys, come on. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but I said, guys, come on, you carry a loaded gun. Are you afraid to do a training evolution where everyone's behind you? The targets are down here. The, the, the magazine's not even in the gun. Yeah. They said, okay, we go, we go to do this. Two guys sat out. They were like, very like, no, this is violating policy. I'm like, okay, this is a fear management discussion, but okay. You go down there. You could sneak and peek through the window to see where the targets were, but you couldn't, they were they were set up so you couldn't shoot both targets through the window, which would have been optimal. Yeah. Like why go in and open a door if you can drop a guy through a window? Yeah. <laughs> so you had to come around, but they were six feet apart and they were, you had to do headshots, which were neck shots on the targets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so I never told you about the story. This is classic. I don't think so. So I'm here like this. So they're like, okay, we got it. They're all excited to do it. Here's what you're going to do, guys. And this is when the guys sat out. You're going to, you finish the fight. You know, in the room, there's the bad guys, but you're, you're number one going in the room. You're on the ground. You're going to drop the empty, they had an empty mag in their, in their gun. You're going to drop the mag because you were fighting. So you just want to make sure your gun is fucking in, performing properly. Yeah. Drop the mag. Now you're taking a hot mag, inserting it, but you're, now you're facing downrange because your back's against the wall. Uh -huh. So you're facing like 25 people in a class oh, God. doing this. So people are like, whoa, guys, come on. <laughs> Just don't shoot yourself or one of us, right? So they're like this. I go, you're going to load your mag. You know where the guys are. You're going to low crawl to the door. And then you're going to jump through the room and take out the terrorists. Oh, this is diehard. You're ready to go. <laughs> so people are like, okay. They were uncomfortable with turning around facing each other. You understand. Yeah. Right? Just I said, oh, one other thing. This is a 100% true story. I swear to my kids' lives. You have two mags. They're like, good. You can only have two bullets in each mag. And people are like, what? Yeah, there's only two bad guys in the room, so you only need two bullets. And people are like, what? I think I was channeling my evil Jeff. Right? I said, "If now, if you miss the first shot, do you drop the guy with the second shot or do you go to the other guy who now knows you're in the room and shoot yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Who do you go to? Yeah. You got to decide. And um, that was the course of fire. Now oh. I went first and I swear to God, I hit both targets right. I was so nervous. I was like you on the fast <laughs> rope. I don't know how I did it. I could never do it again. It was the scariest. I, remember a uh, half an hour ago, an hour ago, you asked me, what was the most challenging, scariest moment of yeah. my life? Yeah. It was that shot. Oh my God. But um, that day, it was a bad day to be a hostage. Oh yeah. People, it really got in people's heads that they only had two bullets. They had to do all that. But I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but it was just this, either, this but idea. It's awesome. <laughs> but it's just crazy. But it was, it was the idea of how fear, this was the point okay. of the story. Yeah. Is that if I'm focusing on a movie of me missing yeah. and screwing shit up, yeah. there's a good chance I'm going to miss and screw shit up. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. All right. Well, let's start wrapping things up. I got one final question for you. Yes, sir. <clears throat> what do you want as the biggest takeaway for our listeners? You can't be brave if you're not afraid. All of us are going to face fear in our mm -hmm. life, health, financial, relationship, uh, violence. And if it's a true threat, 
it is normal for you to get a fear spike. Okay. But if you change your relationship with fear, you can use that as fuel. And you got to remember, if this was a bottle of courage, there would be one ingredient inside. It would be fear. Yeah. There is no fear. Interesting. There is no courage without fear. And you can't be brave if you're not afraid. I love it. That is a great one. I love it. All right. Well, let's... uh, Let's go ahead and do some like, where can people learn more about Tony Blower? Just call Jeff. I'll give you his personal cell number. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is. Uh, uh, I'm shadow banned. Like I'm sure a lot of the people that you talk to are. Yeah. But if you just Google me online and and of course Google shadow bans me too. But uh, my main website, if you're interested in any of our training, go to blowertrainingsystems.com. My last name, B-L-A-U-E-R, trainingsystems.com. That's our website. But I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and, yeah. and Instagram as and Tony Blower, my, my full name. Okay, nice. Easy. All right. Well, for folks, that's a wrap. Tony, I want to thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you, buddy. Are we shaking hands? No. I, I thought was, we were going to shake hands. No. Okay. <laughs> but thank you for coming on the show. It's been an awesome time. I really have it's enjoyed fun, this. Um, I want to thank our audience for tuning in. I want to thank our sponsors for helping us to do this. I want to thank the men and women for holding the line. Check out all our previous podcasts by visiting the bulletproofworkshop.com. Learn more about me and training opportunities by visiting trainingconcepts.com. Until then, I'm Jeff Gonzalez. You're listening to the Bulletproof Workshop podcast. Stay safe or be dangerous.